The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Almost live from a library near you, this is Hellions Talks, starring the masked library, Kevin Hellion. He is the lauder of the long box, the hero of the hall, and he's on a mission to bag and board them all. Now the Retro Network proudly presents a talk show of comic proportions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hellions Talks, officially rebranded on this fine Thursday day. No more hot tag. House show is in hiatus for now. And so it's just me, Kevin Hellions, here talking one-on-one with some people that I am great fans of between wrestling and comics and all sorts of other creations, like today with podcasts. And there's some wrestling comics in there, too. My guest today has made me earn every bit of it from being an annoying fan listening to his shows bothering him over social media (laughs) to now someone that i would consider a friend that is welcome in my house anytime that i would give a great big quarantined vaccinated hug to whenever i finally meet him from ads with wrestling from long box heroes from formerly from many a wrestling company mr joe sposto Thank you, Kevin, for having me on the the show. And yes, uh, so I, I I'm going to admit in uh, full transparency, we had scheduled this to be uh, on a Saturday, and I sadly blew Kevin off because a friend of mine had come in who I'd not seen in over two years because of said quarantine things. We went to a mutual friend's house. Um, I may have been a couple in the tank at that point when I got the message <laughs> from Kevin. But I will say this, as you mentioned about like these pre-quarantine, pre-whatevers, I went there with my vaccination card and a mask in my pocket just in case someone asked or said so, you know. Uh, I was ready to go, uh, you know, because you never know how everyone's going to be. You know, I was out and about today uh, running errands and uh, anywhere that I went into. Uh, I'm not going to name the places because they're not sponsors of the show, uh, but I, <laughs> I wore my mask, you know. And uh, I know you and uh, the rest of the house show crew are talking about, and I forget, what's the convention that you guys are going to in August? Um, Later in August. I think it's October, but it's RetroCon. Oh, October. That's the October works better. For some reason, I had it in my head as August, you know? Um, And, like, uh, a couple other folks I know are going to the GCW show in July because they want to see Broski versus Nick Gage. And I'm like... Oh, boy. Uh, Wrestling show, indoors, summer. It's going to be packed in July. I'm not ready yet. And then somebody was like something else in August. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm a little bit more ready. But, like, we're still months away. And then the local shindy near me is doing, like, whatever um, in September. But they're also bringing in Gangrel. And I'm like... Three months from now, indoors, I'll probably still be wearing a mask if you're asking me today, but I'll leave the house for Gangrel, you know? <laughs> I won't leave the house for Broski, but I'll leave the house for Gangrel, just to go show where my priorities are at when it comes to wrestling. Well, that's what we're trying to figure out, too. Like, RetroCon, and, and I had it wrong, it's September 25th and 26th. Right. By by then. We were both wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by then, I might feel totally different about it. Yeah. I think I'll still bring the mask. I'll, it'll depend on the situation. But the week after that, and this will come up again later in our 
conversation. But the week after that, I'm going to a wrestling show in Syracuse at a venue that you and I have both been to. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I know that venue. I'll probably wear a mask for that one. That is yeah. a tight quarters venue. It is. Not that there's like CW running or that is that I mean, there's information that is out there, uh, you know, publicly on their page. This is their one off kind of a reunion show that was scheduled for last year pre COVID shutdown. Right. And we got our tickets last year. We're all excited about it. So the money spent, the money's already out there. And when it got pushed back, we said, keep our ticket money. We're going to this no matter what. So I know that, well, I don't know. There's only been a couple of names they have announced for sure, but I am sure that some of the two CW regulars will be a part of this. Hmm. And when I was going to it, they had just ended their feud against NWA upstate out of Rochester. So that's how I first saw Cheech because he was part of NWA upstate. Yeah. Um, You knew him better than I did, but that was the first time I saw Brody. And I yes, was like, yes. he's the best guy here. I like, I knew it immediately upon seeing him. He's the best guy here for it. So I imagine some people from Rochester, Syracuse area, but we're also close enough to Pennsylvania. We're close enough to other places. Um, but I mean, I didn't realize until Treats pointed it out who Bunny was in her previous okay, name. Okay, Sure. And I was like, that's the same girl. Cherry bomb, right? We'll say it. <laughs> Blew my mind. Uh-huh. You know, here, here's Pepper Parks and Cherry Bomb. And I mean, I like them, but to see how far they've both come. Right. Oh, you, my God. You probably go back to when Pepper Parks was like the male cheerleader gimmick, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So every time I see him, I still think of that, you know? Because, like, he was that for such, you know, a seminal part of his career, a seminal part of me being a fan of fan of independent wrestling, you know? And, uh, you know, he's gone through so many changes to, you know, uh, now the Blade, but, like, whatever his name was in TNA. And then he was in CZW with Sabian, who is Black G's, but he'll always be Sabian to me. Um, they were the team TV Ready, and then his stuff with, uh, you know, the butcher now, uh, Andy Williams, which again, there's another musician named Andy Williams, of course, two <laughs> completely different people, but it still doesn't change the fact that they're both, uh, they both share a similar space in my mind. Well, and you, I screw it. We're going to just jump around cause it's you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and, and even though this is the first time we've talked one-on-one such a situation peek behind the curtain, like Joe and I talk weekly on DMS for things for many a thing. Um, sometimes it's a question, sometimes it's clarification, sometimes it's goofing around, sometimes, and I'll, I'll fully admit, I think you're like a little bit older than me within a year, but not much. If I recall, I I was born in 78. Yeah. I, so I just turned 44, uh, past May. But in a way, even that one year, you'll pull the older brother card on me sometimes and like, (laughs) Hey, Maybe too far this time. <laughs> Maybe you want to dial uh, that one sure. back 20%. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> some of the spicier language in regards to... I have had people independently uh, contact me who've listened to uh, the Glow episodes 
and say that uh, the house show is the uh, horniest podcast I've ever listened to. And I'm like, and I say, I go, listen, I go, they're watching Glow in 2021 and they can't talk about the work rate. They got to talk yeah. about something, you know? Well, even, I mean, when, when Elise stepped in to do her one, I flat out warned her. I'm like, you're not going to see some great wrestling here. You've seen some good wrestling. You've seen stuff that made you go, oh, my God, I get it. This is art. This is beautiful. You're not seeing that here. So let's. here's the things we can pay attention to and comment on. Right. Like, even, like, with the, you know, not to date and timestamp all of this, <laughs> but the uh, Pat McAfee office championship wrestling thing that we had to watch recently for At Odds, I was like, the production values were nice, you know, mm-hmm. and before, uh, you know, before we record, you'll always put your write up about what we're doing for the homework. And like, I was just copy and paste and stuff right out of your thing. And I'm like, I already have this in my notes. I already have this in my notes. I already have this in my notes. You know, we're, we're, we're simpatico here, you know? And then there's sometimes where like, you'll pose a question in the, uh, the, the, write up about the show homework and i'm like i'll answer this one on the air and this one i'll answer in dms you know like <laughs> well and, and that's the thing like it's a post and it's one of my most popular posts every week because of you guys sharing it through all the sako accounts Aww. and I, I enjoy it and i enjoy everyone else that gets in on it too um when i've had because we've had a couple different people that both of us follow that, but that mostly know you who have posted, I can't wait to see what Kevin thinks of this. And it means the world to me. Like, I haven't met these people yet. Like, they don't know me that well, other than the writing and the podcast and all, but have built up a, a fandom, a trust of an enjoyment. And that's from, they know me because of you. Like, that's where the circles intersect there. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy the hell of it. But I also know you're going to read it and Adam's going to read it at least. So a lot of times it's a conversation. It's not really posts. It's a, I know you're reading this. I may as well be like I'm talking one-on-one to you for some of this right. stuff. Yeah. But to go back a second, for, for those of who may not be aware of Joe and haven't heard me nearly every week giving a shout-out to Odds with Wrestling, I first knew Joe. Now, here, here's how I remember it. Um, I went to a CZW Best of the Best show in the old ECW arena. Girl I was dating at time, not my wife, said, what would you like to do for your birthday? I said, I haven't been to a wrestling show in forever. Where would you like to go? I'm like, I don't know. There's probably an Indian Syracuse or, or maybe there's a WWE house show coming through or whatever. She said, no, where would you like to go? I was like, I would love to go ECW arena at some point. I'd love to go Madison Square Garden at some point. You know, Hammerstein Ballroom. Like, I'm thinking all these places I've seen cool shows at. And she just looked up the arena, found a CZW show, didn't know what CZW was, didn't know anyone on it. Sure. Knew nothing. Uh, We go to the show. I loved it. She walked out. I have the whole write-up on my site about this whole experience. And I see a person, and I'm just mentioning for the story, then I'm dropping it. But I see a person named Mike Quackenbush. And I thought, he did some cool stuff. I like that. I, if I recall from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, he has his own company. I should check out that company. And here's a guy on the YouTube stuff for that company named Leonard F. Chikarson. I was like, he's doing some good stuff here. And somewhere along the way, Longbox Heroes comes up in the feed as well. I was, I probably started following you on Twitter or something. Okay. I like, 
he has a podcast about comics. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the banter with his friend Todd. This is great. Oh, there's an After Dark as well. Let me sign up for it. Years later, as as a bet or backed into a corner, I'm not quite sure exactly, finally the wrestling show, which I've been waiting for with the fancy gentleman. And now I get to know his name. <laughs> and just, it was because I thought, Oh, Chikar is cool. It's superheroes and and wrestling. It's two things I love together. It's a Reese's peanut butter cup. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. And then I was enjoying your work and started following you. And my problem was I was a fan bothering you a bit too much at times. This is in the days where, and you mentioned it many, many years ago, probably on after dark of, I'm not going to follow more than this number of people. So if I follow someone new, I need to get rid of someone. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm going to make it my goal. He's going to follow me one day. And you're, that number went away. You gave up that up a while ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, every <laughs> once in a while, I do a, a, a purge, a cleanse, or something, you know, just to kind oh, of... Oh, I do up. too. Yeah. Uh, but I think the worst overstepping of my bounds at the time, which I've, I've, I've earned more. I've earned more. I'm at a good place now. But I think the worst one was when you stopped doing the Dad Distractions podcast. And I blindly DM you. No no hint, no nothing, no previous conversation. I was like, I'm a dad, too. <laughs> and you said, your point is? That I don't remember. Yeah. I was like, well, I you, you're... You don't have a host for this podcast. I have a kid. I can tell stories, too. And you're like, I I mean, at the time, you didn't know me from Adam. And I don't mean your esteemed co-host on Ad Odds. I mean, you know, in, in the generic sense. Yeah. Okay. That. Okay. So, but I think that kind of helped us build what friendship we have now, which I still think, you know, obviously, as two older people in their, like, you know, early to late, early to mid 40s. It's still strange to have relationships with people that are mostly online, even though making friends online has been a thing since like 1997, you know, it's still weird to me that there's a lot of people that I consider friends that I've never met in person, that all of my interactions with them have been through various means of social media, like even taking out the last year of the world, you know. But there's also, I mean, my list of people that, I enjoy talking to that might have my home phone number that I would trust in my home that I've not actually met are all people that the only reason I haven't met them is not because I don't want to, it's that the opportunity and the time has not come up to do so. Sure. Like uh, my, my big reason for wanting to go to this convention is a lot of these people be there. I can finally meet them. I can finally sit down face to face with some of these people they've talked to for years. Right. Now doubt in my mind, mm-hmm. I'm going to be at the same show as you sometime in the future. Possibly. You know, for, I mean, who knows what it will be, but I'm sure at some point there'll be a show that both of us are like, well, that sounds like a good time and would end up being that. Uh, Adam as well. Although I don't know, I am tempted with his offer when we're heading down through Pennsylvania to stop by the importer exporter business and punch him. I'm seriously debating that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he deserves it. <laughs> I think it's uh, probably on the way. He's looking rather svelte now. Now he's in better shape than me, so I'm not quite sure. (laughs) 
all these people that say he's like this indie or that he's the world's smallest toss. He's I just a love normal, it. He's just a regular sized person now. <laughs> it's all it's all mirrors and camera trickery. Yes. So you mentioned about going to the CZW show, right? Yes. So I'm guessing that had to be about 2005-ish, if I'm thinking about when Quack was in or won Best of the Best, maybe? I believe it was Best of the Best 5. I'm almost positive it was 2005. It was a birthday trip. I graduated college the next year, and she and I moved together. So there's no way I would have been going to Pennsylvania at the same time as well. So I'm almost positive it was 2005. Right. So it's funny that you tell the story in that manner because uh, obviously I uh, wrestling fan my whole life. Um, but growing up watching wrestling, you know, WWF, WCW and ECW and like, you know, you'll throw in world class occasionally pop up on ESPN or global or AWA. Right. But by the time that like the attitude era hits, you're talking like the late 90s, you got three major companies. And even when I had first discovered ECW, I didn't think of ECW as an indie. I just thought that, you know, they were a much smaller, larger promotion like WWF and WCW. You know, there was a period of time where WCW or WWF was doing their TV out of a gymnasium in Carbondale High School. Right. Yep. There was a time where uh, WCW was doing their TV at a supper club in downtown Georgia and they were barely able to fill it. Like somebody posted a clip the other day from like 1992 um, when it was a match that ended during the commercial break. Right. And the hard camera shot that they showed of this, uh, I forget who it was like Bobby. It was definitely Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson against Larry Zabisco and someone Larry Zabisco had just left the dangerous Alliance. And as they're showing this match, like, hard camera, there's, like, 60% empty seats, and it was glaringly obvious. Like, they didn't turn down the house lights to hide this. They were like, yeah, I don't know. We don't have the money to turn down the house lights or whatever it is. So <laughs> where I'm getting to this was, so it gets to, like, 98, 99, and I go to my first independent wrestling show, which you being a longtime, I, I'm assuming, wrestling, internet wrestling fan, you may remember Break the Barrier that was held at the ECW Arena. Yep. Okay, so me and my two buddies were front row at that show. And for the most part, the show kind of stunk, okay? I think the entire show, uh, you could find it on YouTube, like nobody claims rights to this. And the the commentary for the show is done by, I think, Bill Apter and Reverend Bob Levy, if you're a fan of the Howard really? Stern shows from the day. Right. So it's really bad. It's a really bad indie show. It's a really bad uh, uh, commentary. It's a bad presentation. Um, the only notable things off of it is it was Shane Douglas's first appearance after quitting WC, or ECW. And it was it was the show that he did in between leaving ECW and joining WCW as part of, like, one of the many Russo reboots, right? Okay. But the opening match was a match for a promotion out of Pittsburgh where it was the Lord of the Dance title, where all the matches for the title were going to be contested in three-way dances. And the match was Beef Stew Lou Marconi, uh, Don Montoya, and Lightning Mike Quackenbush. So that was the only good match on the show per, you know, March of 1999 independent wrestling. 
And I went up to Quack at the merchandise table. I introduced myself. I said how much I liked his match. He, I was wearing, uh, and again, I know this only because I've seen, you know, I, I the, the show exists online. Uh, and I was wearing the super, uh, Superman logo shirt, but it was the electric blue Superman. Remember when Superman was electric yep. for a while? Yep, and then split to electric blue and electric red. Yeah, it was the electric yep. blue one. I wish I still had that shirt. Not that I'd be able to fit into it today, but I still wish I had it. Um, so he complimented me on the shirt. He asked where I got it. I said I ordered it through my comic book shop, blah, blah, blah. We got into a conversation. Seemed like a really nice guy. And I remembered his name from the show. I couldn't tell you anything else on that show. You know what I mean? Like, I have vague memories of, like, a very heavy Tom Brandy influence on the show. I remember Stevie Richards wrestled and his tights broke. So he had to wrestle the match in his little tiny gray underwear, which was odd, especially being a Stevie Richards fan. Um, but then maybe like two years later, I'm involved in. And again, I hate to say it because there's a lot of people that I know that were involved in wrestling or still involved in wrestling who consider them doing backyard wrestling as part of their wrestling career. And that's them. It's a lot of people that I know that do. I don't. Um, I didn't get paid for what I did. I paid a lot of money uh, to help, like, for many, many costs. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears uh, for a better part of, like, two years in that. And one of the last things that they did after we got busted by the state for running a backyard promotion indoors without a license in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, obviously... No shock that that went poorly. Um, the guy who ran things decided we're going to run a legitimate independent show. Um, and this actual show, this show we actually reviewed on At Odds. Uh, that was the VCW Indie, if you remember when we did that several, yep. several months ago. And it had like the Steve Carino match and all those sort of things. Um, and I don't think we mentioned it during the course of the show, but there was one of the matches on the show. The referee of the match was Quack. And I had reintroduced myself to him there. And this was like Mike had quote unquote retired. And a friend of mine, Scott, says no one retires from independent wrestling. You either quit or you stop getting bookings. When you say that you retired, it's because you've made so much money you don't need to do it anymore. So when anybody's an independent wrestler and they say that they retired, they're a liar. <laughs> so... Uh, Quack is a referee. He had quit independent wrestling, retired, and he was actually toying around with the idea of starting a school, which is what would become Chikara, right? Um, so like I said, our paths crossed there, and then, uh, we missed the first Chikara show. Our intentions were going to go to it, but I think I had a friend of mine's graduation party that day, and I'm like, nah, you know, we're going to go here. It's like my friend. I don't want to miss his graduation party, right? Um... Is this me, how I got involved in Chikara, I guess? Like, I'm already kind of there. It's yeah, kind of there. Your thing about Quack. I was, le- I was letting you go, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, the, VC, or the VCW indie show was a one-and-done bust that cost me, out-of-pocket, hundreds of dollars that I never saw back and I never knew I was going to – I knew I was never going to see back. And a couple of guys on that show – we're going to a place to train with Quack. We did not have the Wrestle Factory official yet. It did not have Chikara official yet. Uh, but they were sharing a space with a bunch of guys that would film, like, Deathmatch-like stuff. But it was, like, 2001 iteration of Deathmatch stuff. It's nothing like what you would see today. Right. 
um, you know, at like ICW, GCW, any of those promotions that you see. Um, and the weird thing there is um, he and I probably crossed paths at that point, but part of the group that was doing those um, death matches, they were a backyard that start doing sh- shows indoors, was Mantis, Ultramantis Black, and his crew. So we, he and I, probably crossed paths several times in like 2001, 2002, before Chikara became a thing, before we knew each other and everything else like that. So guys were going down there doing that. Um, and then spinning out of that, Chikara happens. Chikara has a very storied history of them having issues finding a space to run shows. Uh, they were running shows in Wall, Pennsylvania, like traveling like four to six hours out of their comfort zone uh, to run shows in front of single digit number of fans. Um, but 2003, 2004-ish, they start to find some venues. They start to find some spaces. And around this time, the people that were left over from VCW, which was the backyard promotion that we had done stuff through, they rebranded themselves as VWA and they had bought some warehouse space where they were going to run wrestling shows and they were going to have concerts. It's what concerts as well. It was essentially just like a clubhouse, a hangout for all the VCW people to get together and do whatever. Um, you know, I was in the midst of, you know, growing like I was now also, also at this time, <laughs> I was going to Ring of Honor shows all the time. My wife and I, from like 2002 to 2005, I think we missed one Ring of Honor show. Um, my wife, much like your wife, Kevin, was a big wrestling fan. Emphasis on was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she likes to see when the people that we know are on TV and are doing well. And that's really about it these days, you know. Uh, she's happy for OC. She's happy for Bryce. Uh, she's happy for Chuck Taylor. She's happy for all, you know, Claudio and those type of people. The rest of it, she don't care nothing about. Right. So we're going to these shows. We're doing this. VCW becomes VWA. Uh, the less said about the guy that's running those things is the better. He's a real piece of shit. Um, and he was an abuser and a lot of people enabled it. His abusive people. And still to this day, they enable it in 2021, which is why I try to keep a lot of people from that time at an arm's distance. But um, through that, I met Jerry of Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, who is currently training at the Chikar Wrestle Factory. Uh, my friend Kyle, uh, who I knew from the VCW days, was also training at the Chikar Wrestle Factory. He never actually amounted to anything, which, you know, I'm not saying that in a negative way. He went, he did the training. He's like, nah, wrestling's not for me. I'm good just being a fan. But his friend Tony, and again, I got no problem saying this, did go on to be someone in Chikara, was already getting ready to debut on shows. And through that sort of friendship there, when the first VWA show happens, there was two Chikara matches on the show. One was my friend Tony, who's Shane Storm. And again, he doesn't do it, so I don't got a problem saying it taking on Hollow Wicked, and then there was a six-man match of Quack, uh, uh, Icarus, and Gran Akuma taking on the Wild Cards, uh, Eddie Kingston and Blackjack Marciano, and a yet-to-debut in Chikara, I think maybe his second or third match ever, Larry Sweeney. Jeez. So I get to meet, like, this is now, like, my third time of, like, my paths with Quack has crossed again, this time I'm doing stuff in wrestling, kind of, sort of. Long story short, VWA gets shut down because, surprise, surprise, they're running without a license in the state of Pennsylvania. 
Um, but this guy now has a ring that he has nothing to do with. VWA shuts down. The people who are left over from VWA contact me and say, hey, we're looking to get something started. We're looking to get something going again. And I say to them, I just proposed to April. We had just, I, uh, <laughs> I like, that was, so that was like April, the month of April. Uh, May is when Chikara does their anniversary events. They took June off. July was the first night of the Young Lions Cup, which was Sweeney's debut in Chikara. That was also the first Chikara show that I went to. I think that show is on Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, a.k.a. independentwrestling.tv, uh, July of 2004. Me and April were front row at that show. I'm front row at a bunch of those shows. So I'm going. I st- we start going to those shows along with the Ring of Honor shows, right? Because we're both big wrestling fans. So, uh, and I'd proposed to her the night before. Um, so we're like, okay, we got to make plans. Are we going to get married first? Are we going to buy a house first? I go, because we're not going to be able to do both at the same time. You know, we need to make a decision. We made the decision we're going to start shopping for a house first and then worry about getting married at another time, right? So a bunch of the people from the VWA contact me and they're like, hey, uh, we're going to start something back up again. We're going to do it legit. We're going to use... Uh, this guy's ring, the piece of shit guy who I'm not going to mention. Um, and I said to them, just proposed to April. We're getting ready to start looking at houses. I go, I don't know how much help I'm going to be able to be to you, but whatever you got, I'll be able to help out. Right. Uh, another side group of those people contact me a couple days later and say the same thing. They're going to start something separate from that first group. And I said to them the same thing that I said to the first group, which was getting just got engaged, looking to get married, looking to be buying a house. I'm not sure how much time I can devote to this, but whatever time I can, absolutely, I'll be happy to help out. Day after that, Jerry of Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium, independentwrestling.tv, contacts me and says the same thing. And I say the same thing back to him. The next day after that, Jerry contacts me and says, hey, we're going to do stuff with Chikara. Uh, I got a venue ready to go, and I've got three dates set up in 2005. Okay. You're contacting me. I'll be happy to help out. And he says, there's one condition. Quack wants to meet you. And I'm thinking to myself, I've already met Quack, but I get you. This is different. <laughs> he wants to meet yeah. me. I understand. I go, okay, well, let me know. Um, and he said, well, they're training right now in Allentown. You know, these are the days that they do training. Um, you know, so you're not driving down to where he lives. He, there's a diner that we all go to afterwards. So come on down, right? And uh, he says to me, he's like, and you'll be able to book some people. Right now, also during this time, this is now like September of 2004. Yeah, September of 2004, going into October of 2004. Uh, my friend Drew had been going through, uh, he had already done some independent, got like, you know, bare bones training, but he was going to the Ring of Honor school, right? So we were like his ride. We would show up early. We would drop him off. So he would do his student duties, which is like ring crew and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And we would just like kind of cruise the town. Wherever we were, we're going to cruise around. We're going to find things. We're going to figure out stuff to do. And then we'd go to the show. We didn't look. We weren't. We, My wife and I and anyone that we went with, we were never like, oh, well, we drove this kid. Let us in for free. It was like, nope, we're going to drop you off. We don't want us being around to get you some sort of like a weird heat with someone, which it sadly did. But we ended up making friends with the other guys that he was training with and some of the other guys that were on the come up at that time, which included Cheech and Cloudy. 
So I got to know Cheech and Cloudy. I got to know a couple of the other uh, the Ring of Honor students. They get booked to do IWA Mid-South. There was five of them in the class. Only four of them took any further bookings outside of their first booking that they got in October. And I said, hey, I go, you, I got, I got a couple bucks to spare. I've never been to IWA Mid-South. I'll be like the fifth guy in the car. So you have somebody else to drive if you guys need rest or whatever it is, right? Okay. So there was two different instances, uh, a quad shot in no, in October and then a triple shot in November where I was like the fifth guy in the car with the Ring of Honor students going off to the IWM and South shows. If you watch those shows, you can see me in the crowd as well. I didn't try to use like oh, I drove them. So give me free tickets. I'd be like, nope. I would. So for the October shows, and again, it's 2004 it was a different time. And my wife is well aware of this. I would I would drop them off. And again, this is like Bumble, you know, whatever, Indiana. So nope. I would drop them off at the venue. And then I would fi- find the nearest, seediest strip club. <laughs> and again, we're talking a strip club on a Wednesday afternoon in like Hammond, Indiana. You know? Nope. Okay. Like even, even a good one at that middle of the week in time is still not going to be good. And I just and and as another side note, my friend Drew, who was doing the Ring of Honor training, a lot of times like, oh, my car's in the shop, my girlfriend needs the car, whatever it is, and I'm like, no problem, I'll drive you to practice, right? I'll drive you to Ring of Honor, I'll drop you off, um, and I'll go find the nearest seediest strip club. And there was a very seedy strip club right by the old Ring of Honor school called the Red Raven, uh, where while I was there, uh, you know, doing what you do at a strip club, you know, having nursing a couple drinks and. You know, being liberal or being, uh, you know, uh, frugal with your dollars. Mm-hmm. A man came in, kicked the door open, uh, reached over the bar, grabbed the bartender and drug her out. Oh, wow. And I wait, I gave it like a 10 Mississippi. Once I heard the commotion died down in the parking lot and I'm like, well, I can never come here again. Um, so, uh, so doing all those things. Jerry gets the thing set up. It's like, okay, here's the dates that we have for the Shikara shows. It's February, March, and April. We have these dates set up. Uh, well, let's go down and meet with Quack on this day. And uh, he said, like, because we're helping out or whatever it is, we could book a couple people. I'm like, great. I have friends. I made a couple friends in the wrestling business. I made friends with Cheech and Cloudy. I made friends with these uh, the Ring of Honor kids. I go, if I'm going to book anyone, it's going to be them. And I paid them for those shows and little did I know that they were probably the only people that were being paid on those early Chikara shows because I was the one that was paying them. Um, but so we go down there to meet quack and we had been going, my wife and I had been going to Chikara shows, uh, frequently at this point. So we go down there and I think it's going to be me, Jerry, Tony and quack. And I go there and I never put two and two together that it was going to be right after practice. Right. Right after training. So we go to the diner, and the diner is full of the entire Chikar roster. <laughs> Eddie Kingston, Blackjack Marciano, Jigsaw, Icarus, Akuma. Chris Hero was there because he was co-trainer at the time. All, like, everyone's there. So I'm just, like, starstruck. I'm like, what have I gotten myself into, right? And it was just essentially like, hey, and I'm like, hey, Mike, you know, Jerry just kind of asked me to be involved. You know, I'm good to do whatever you need me to do. You know, you need me to drive the ring truck. You need me to help set up chairs. You need me to help get people here and there. Whatever it is that you need me to do, I will absolutely happily help out with, right? And, uh, okay. And that's what he says. And he's like, you have any guys that you want to, 
you know, get on the shows. And I'm like, yeah, this, this, this. Here's their contacts and stuff, you know, because bear in mind, it's like 2004 going into 2005. So, like, everyone has email addresses. Like, you know, there were people, I guess, getting bookings on MySpace. But, like, this was a time where my buddy Drew, who had just gotten out of the Ring of Honor school, like, I was, like, making hard copy VHS highlight tapes of his to mail out to people, you know? Um, so 2005 rolls around, uh, my wife and I, while this is all going on, we're also shopping for a house. We close on our house, uh, the first week of February and we move in the second week of February and the first weekend of us doing something with Chikara is the third week of February. So it's like all right on top of each other. Right. So in the midst of this, uh, quack contacts me and he says, Hey, Joe. Uh, you know how we send out, like, the Chikara press releases that say, from the desk of Leonard F. Chikarison? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, how would you like to be Leonard F. Chikarison? <laughs> and I go, what would that entail? And he goes, well, uh, just when we need to, like, do something, like, in front of the crowd, you would be, like, the figurehead, like, whatever. Like, you'd essentially be Jack Tony. And he goes, and I'm like, I need to get a suit. And he goes, if you don't already have a suit, you need to get a suit. I go, okay, I can do this, right? Um, now just as a side note, and this is kind of like a lesser known thing. Maybe not, maybe it is. So, um, after, are you familiar with like the early days of ring of honor, especially the ousting of Rob Feinstein from ring of honor? Yes. So side note for your side note, um, when ring of honor started treats and I agreed to order, I think it was the first five or six shows on VHS directly from them because there was no other way to see it. Right. I believe I still owe him money for that. Uh, let's pretend and, he's not. And I own them. <laughs> he, he, Yeah, he might just, I don't even know if he's going to listen to it. He might just throw in the music for me. Uh-huh. Be, <laughs> so but Yeah, I was following everything then. So I'm well familiar with the, uh, uh, you know, 14 and all that stuff. Now, just, and again, side note, side note, side note. Um. <laughs> Our, our first show of Ring of Honor isn't until the third show, which was the Eddie Guerrero farewell show, right? Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where, like, we heard about Ring of Honor, we got the first tape, loved the first tape, and then we're like, we gotta go. And then that's when we start hitting the shows, right? So, and those first couple shows were um, a, a carload of young fans from the Rochester area. Cheech, oh. and Cloudy, <laughs> and John Huber who at the first show, uh, he's you might be able to find him because he's the giant in the crowd with the pro-amazing red sign with his high with his hair spray-painted red. He's oh difficult to miss. But they were just starting training with Loke and DeVito, so they kind of would travel with Loke and DeVito and would do ring crew with them, not unlike the ring crew express would become acts on the show. And Cheech and Cloudy several years later would become acts in the show and, you know, John would become Brody and become like, you know, a huge star, right? Not to say that Cheech and Cloudy aren't huge stars in their own right. And the Rinker Express also not uh, huge stars in their own right as well. Uh, uh, Feinstein gets ousted from Ring of Honor. He starts many, many startup promotions one of which they ran at the Rexplex in New Jersey, which was Ring of Honor's home base. 
And it was a show where, like, I think the only notable thing that actually happened on the show that Scott Hall showed up in no condition to perform, but still went out to the ring and got into, like, a verbal altercation with Green Lantern fan. Oh, God, I remember that. Jeez, I haven't thought oh. of that name in years. There you go. There you go. Uh, oh. <laughs> so uh, the show goes out and their promo flyer for it is like horribly mislabeled. They advertise that Masawa is going to be on the show and his name is spelled wrong. And they also advertise that psychosis is going to be on the show. But they spell psychosis really wrong. Like they spell it like. P-H-Y-C-H-O-C-Y-C-S. Like, something really, really wrong. And the reason I'm telling the story was, the original Leonard F. Chikarsen character was going to have a secretary whose name was going to be Cheryl Fichosis, which was ever that poor spelling of psychosis on that <laughs> flight. And it was going to be my wife in a psychosis mask, and she immediately shot that down. She's like, I want you to so that was originally going to be one of the things with Leonard F. Chikars. So uh, I do the Leonard F. Chikar- Leonard F. Chikarsen show the first weekend. Um, I only do one thing, which was one of the first times that they did like the random names out of the hat, you know? Yep. Uh, fun story about that. And again, it, you know, we're beyond the point. All, all, all the pieces of paper were blank, right? And it would be like, Kill, you're going to kill kayfabe. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to go out, you're going to say this name, you're going to say this name, you're going to say this name. Um, Now, there was a joke that was pitched and it got shot down. I actually did it twice that week and I did it once in writing and once in Emmaus. Uh, And the Emmaus one was like, oh, it was Eddie, it was supposed to be the wild cards. Blackjack Marciano had quit because he got hurt on a show. So he was done, never came back. So he really did retire from wrestling. And then we end up picking Mickey Knuckles as Eddie Kingston's partner. And that's kind of like the beginning of like the Eddie Kingston face turn in Chikara. Forgot uh, about Mickey Knuckles. Wow. She's back. She's doing shows again. She's, you know, back at it. Um, but the night one ended up being Doomsday Danny Rose and Adam Flash from CZW. But the, and the gimmick was that, like, we ended up picking, like, an actual tag team that just happened to be there, and they weren't booked on the thing, whatever, right? So, uh, Ring of Honor kids were on the show. Ring of Honor had run nearby that same night. And separately, both Samoan Joe and Phil from Chicago showed up to see the kids. And sadly, just timing worked out that they didn't miss it. It was just one of those things where they came in, like, high bye, right? So somebody had pitched the idea of how funny would it be? You pick the names out of the hat, right? And you pick the first name and it's Samoan Joe and Samoan Joe comes out. And then you pick the next name and the next name is like Kurt Angle. Obviously Kurt Angle's not there. So instead of just picking a second name, like just keep picking names until somebody teams up with Joe. It's like, okay, the idea is it's going to be Joe and whoever this other person is. So the second name doesn't come out. So Joe's like all dejected. and He walks to the back. Okay. We're going to pick somebody else. Phil from Chicago, and then Phil from Chicago comes out. And then we pick the second name, and that second name's not there, and then Phil from Chicago's like, oh, shucks, and leaves. The joke being that <laughs> Samoan Joe and Phil from Chicago are there. Why couldn't we have just put them together? But he's like, no, we got to go by the rules of the hat, you know? And they get started just picked with them. Um, and I think that idea might have gotten shot down by Joe and Phil from Chicago. Oh, and again, bring of Honor was in a different 
level than Chikar was at that time in 2005, so I completely understand. But again, I always get a kick out of that one. So now, after that week, go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. Nope. Quick question. They shot the idea down. Now, yes. from what I've seen with way, I went through a shoot interview phase and got way too deep dive into it. Do you think it would have gone better if you gave them the idea, but then had Ricky Steamboat say it and gave them like an hour to think about it? They would have come back and agree it was an actual good idea. Uh, I think only if uh, (laughs) we were able to promise them a shot in World Wrestling Entertainment like Ricky Steamboat did. Ah, they left that part out of the interview. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, That like Ricky Steamboat was the reason why Phil from Chicago start wearing tights. Um, if you remember, he used to wrestle in basketball shorts that he changed over to tights. Yep. Had the stars on the side of the shorts and all. Yeah. But again, like I said, Ricky Steamboat was essentially like, if you want to get in WWE, like, here's a bunch of things you got to do. And like, listening to me was one of them. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's how it works. So then the next thing that I do for Chikara was at a March CZW show, was the announcement of a bunch of double headers that were going to be happening over the summer with CZW as the night show and these other promotions as the afternoon shows. Uh, so it ends up being um, uh, ISW out of Canada, which was crazy uh, PCP and Manny, who was the actual owner and an actual wrestler. Uh, it was Ian Rotten for IWA Mid-South an actual wrestler, an actual owner of the company, John Zandig, an actual owner, an actual wrestler in the company, and me as the representative <laughs> of Chikara. So that's the second thing I did in wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, here I am sharing the ring with, like, these three guys who are, like, deathmatch guys, legitimate guys, legitimately owning the promotion, and here's me a dope in an ill-fitting suit saying, yeah, I'm the owner of Chikara, can't wait to come back in August, everybody. And it was my first time as like uh you know like a non uh paying customer at the ECW arena, right? Do you think they were ribbing you at all with this too, or just the way it worked out? I think it was just I think it was more so just the way it worked out. Because Quack um at the time was doing uh as best to not have him be the public face of the company. As he would kind of go on to do in later years as the Wrestle Factor becomes more of a thing and it was, you know, whether it be a wink of Avasur or whatever it was, and I think even, like, at one point, Bryce might have been the director of fun toward the waning days of everything. But if you remember from, like, the final year of Chikara, there really was no director of fun. It was, like, kind of, like, all Quack front and center and everything, which yep. is, you know, the way it should be. It was just Quack was running his things a little bit differently than everybody else, where every indie is, like, I'm the top star, I'm the face of the promotion, um, and I'm going to come out and cut 20 minute promos in between every match talking about how good the matches are on the promotion that I am the figurehead of and also the actual owner paying the bills of where Quack was like, eh, I'd rather just wrestle my matches and run my school sort of thing, you know? No. Uh, so, and this is a story that I've told before. So it, this sets up the summer of shows, uh, June, July, and August. Uh, June is IWA Mid-South, which is the infamous Samoan Joe versus Necro Butcher match. July is the ISW crew, and that's where a lot of your scenes and genericos and sexy eddies and stuff kind of got their, like, second and third looks by American audiences. And then August is the Chikara show. Um, 
So we're still running the shows here locally in Pittston, where the the swing for Chikara was Friday was in Reading because they got the building for free, Saturday in Emmaus because they got the building for free, and Sunday was us in Pittston because we were getting the – well, Mike wasn't paying for the building. Me and Jerry and Tony and Matt from the A-Show were paying for the building, but we weren't paying a ton for the building. We were paying like $2 on the head. And I think like we were drawing very poorly. And the problem was the guy started to see that like we were drawing poorly and we could start bringing in national acts that are actually filling the place and making a lot of lot, us lots of money and so on and so forth. And then after we did our September show there, the guy just kind of caught us out. Like we had November booked there um, as well. And then he just stopped returning our calls and everything else like that. So after like two weeks of this guy ghosting us, I say to Quack, I go, listen, Mike, I go, we don't have this building for November. I go, this guy has not returned a call. Uh, I have money to pay him for September, and he will not meet with me to get, for me to give him money for September. I, I go, I think we need to find somewhere else for November. Okay. So where I'm getting to is the September or the August show at the ECW Arena. It's a Chikara show at the ECW Arena. It's my second time there as a non, you know, fan, whatever. And then 20 minutes before doors open, Mike says to me, Joe, do you want to do commentary today? <laughs> and I froze because, yes, I did want to do commentary. Uh, I'm not an athletic person in any way, shape or form. Um, this role of being Leonard F. Chikarison had been thrust upon me and I really hadn't gotten much to do. And I felt as though Mike had given me this role and then there's not a lot for me to do, but I'm always there because I'm coming along with Jerry and Tony and Matt and so forth to be on the shows. So I think Mike was just trying to figure out something for me to do. And Chikara, this was the first year that Chikara had done commentary prior to this. They did like a pop-up video style thing for their releases um, you remember pop-up video? I do. I right. was a fan of it for, you know, probably the brief time we were all a fan of it. Right. So that's kind of how Chikara commentary, quote unquote, was. It was just pop-up video style. Um, so they were doing commentary. They were just trying to figure out and fit people into roles. And Mike asks me. Um, I froze. So Mike just asked the next person who was there, which was CZW color commentator Eric Gargiulo. So if you have issues with the commentary... On the August uh, Chikara 2005 event, it's my fault. So September events come around. Uh, I'd gotten to, I'd start and get to be friends with people. It's really weird, too, because there were certain people that took to me much quicker because I was definitely an outsider. I wasn't part of the Chikara group. Um, it took some people much longer to warm up to me. And a lot of those people are the ones that I'm a lot closer with today than I you know, was initially, as opposed to the people that warmed up to me much quicker than either way, September show comes around. Sweeney talks to me. Sweeney was one of the first guys. Sweeney was nice to everybody. Sweeney's one of the, was one of the best people in the world is missed every day by hundreds of thousands of people, but he was always super cool to me. He was always super cool to April and he was always super cool to all the guys that I came with Jerry and Tony and Matt and everything else like that. So Sweeney says to me, uh, he goes, I heard Mike offered you to do commentary and you said, no, and I said, I didn't say no. I froze up and I was just I was nervous, you know, and he said, next show that I'm doing commentary on, you're doing commentary with me. And I said, OK, so the next show that Sweeney does commentary on is the uh, the October show 
from Reading, which was the Cybernetico event that went over an hour. So it was he and I calling that match. Uh, and that's that even though I had done commentary before, I did commentary for VCW, the backyard promotion indoors, VWA, the backyard promotion indoors, the VCW indie show uh, from 2001. I really count that that 2005 show with Sweeney for Chikar, like my actual debut for commentary from wrestling. And then we've just been off since there. So that's kind of like my origin story for wrestling in a very long way. But I mean, for the commentary now, at this point, you, you did commentary for probably hundreds of events. You have. Yeah. Yeah. When I was thousands on, of hours of podcast too, like now people will hear your voice and say, well, clearly, but you had to start somewhere with the nerves and the, and fear and pauses and everything else to try to figure it out. Yeah. But again, it was like I kind of sort of knew that I could do something with it, you know. And it was Sweeney essentially saying, like, you were given an opportunity to do something. You got uh, afraid and I'm going to make you do commentary with me at the next show. And then I did. And then I just kind of did commentary since then, you know, for the last 15 years. Or 16 years, whatever the hell it is, you know? Well, but you weren't just doing commentary. I mean, I know enough, I've watched enough Jakarta events that even if you're doing commentary on it, you're not necessarily doing it the entire show. Right. Because you would wear many a hat there. What are the other things that need to be done? I'm, I'm assuming. We have never, okay. you know, I've, I've not asked you about this, but I'm assuming it was, here are the things that need to be done. People are coming into the building. We have the first match. I notice a lot of times for Chikara, there's, here's the homegrown talent. They get a match too. And then you seem to come in later. So I've always assumed Joe has things that he needs to do before he can move over to the commentary station here. Um. So that really didn't become more of a thing until... Uh, I was no longer director of fun. There are shows where I would do commentary to start the shows and everything. But once I storyline wise was no longer director of fun, I was quote unquote demoted to working the door. But I was demoted to working the door because Mike trusted me to handle the money and the head count. And when we were running shows that were doctor or like people from the state showed up, I can immediately get them to Mike um, that if there were like um, problems with people where like, oh, I ordered my tickets online and I never got them, that I could be trusted to take care of that sort of thing. So once that starts, which is where we're currently watching stuff in the timeline, which is, I think, like 2009, 2010 to 2011, it was end of 2009 where I no longer am director of fun. 2010 is where I'm quote unquote, like I said, demoted to running the door. Um, but because of that, like for those first, like two or three shows, like two or three matches, a lot of times, um, you know, I wouldn't be put on commentary for that because I'm running the door as people are coming in, but there were certain venues and stuff that we know it's like, okay, once we're two matches in, nobody else shows up, right? So we could pull Joe from the door and have him go and do commentary. And like I said, there had been times where um, I've done airport runs for people. I've done food runs for the building. Like, oh, the building needs somebody to go get waters and uh, you have a reliable car. And a lot of it was me having a reliable car. 
Um, also, during this time, my wife was essentially in charge of merchandise for Chikara um, from, like, 2008 to 2010. And, you know, there was a time where a bunch of people had to, um, a bunch of the Chikara people got a thing where it's like, oh, you can order these, like, fancy Chikara tracksuits, right? And it's, like, this much money, or it's a little bit extra if you want to have, like, your name on the back, right? And they were, you know, about 100 so bucks, right? Your Mike was getting them for the people at cost. And at the end of the year, 2010, Mike got one for April for free because for the two years that uh, April was doing merch for Chikara, not only were things organized, but they actually made money as opposed to breaking even or losing money from merch because, you know, even though it was just like our weekend thing, you know, my wife treated it as a job and, you know, she's not a slack ass. She was like, here's the inventory coming in. Here's the inventory going out. Here's what people were looking for that we didn't have. Here's the stuff that's been sitting for three months. So you may want to hold off on ordering any more of these. And you know what I mean? Like she ran that like a business. She treated it very seriously. And I think Mike uh, respected that. And, you know, and I think that got me a lot of leeway because, you know, my wife was so good at the thing that she wasn't asked to do but like she helped out a little bit and then helped out a little bit more helped out a little bit more helped out a little bit more and then became kind of like in charge of it um but like most of it was just like handling the door but if you go back to those like or like the 06 07 08 09 shows there's shows where like i'm on first match commentary i'm on like you know beginning of the show commentary it's not until the whole thing with me taking care of the door comes in in like 2010 but oh so another thing Oh, so I got to, I, I had to do promos as well. Like I had to do video wire stuff. I had to do update stuff. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's you know, I was the Jack Tunney of Chikara. So, you know, you go back to those things of like Jack Tunney, like uh, we could never have Ultimate Warrior and uh, Hulk Hogan wrestle again. Or because Rick Rude said things about the big boss man's mother, he's indefinitely suspended, you know. So I had to go and do those at this guy, Wiggly, who started the podcast, Go-Go, who was a Chikara fan and did, like, video games and production elements and video stuff online. And, again, you have to bear in mind, it's, like, the early days of that sort of things on YouTube, like, 2008, 2009-ish. So Mike would have people come either after practice or other times and so forth to record the podcast of Go-Go's or to record exclusive promos to go up online to promote the shows or having me doing the special updates, which is, you know, me doing the Jack Tunney thing of announcing people coming into the shows or announcing events or whatever it is. Then there was a time in 2006 where there was a big feud between Eddie Kingston and Hollow Wicked. Hollow Wicked, who's a nonverbal. So for the promos to build up the match between Eddie Kingston and Hollow Wicked, I was the one cutting the promos on Hollow Wicked's behalf with Eddie Kingston. So it's like promos of me and Eddie Kingston cutting promos on each other. Me on behalf of uh, uh, Hollow Wicked and crapping my pants, and Eddie <laughs> Kingston being the Eddie Kingston that you see every Wednesday night and, you know, on AEW Dynamite, you know? Um, so, you know, it was just kind of like random stuff like that that I did. Well, and there's stuff, I mean, it's coming up soon as a, uh, it's homework, and you've already tipped me off for it. But when I went to Chikar's one and only Syracuse show, right, and you were right there at the door, I was scared and intimidated. 
I'm like, I've, I have talked to Joe, you know, like just on social media for probably a year or two at that point. You're right there. You recognize me right away because I was wearing my stupid site logo shirt. Right. And then I'm like, too nervous. (laughs) I, I, I could, I, I mean, you were busy. You had stuff to do for the show. But I could have taken like two minutes, been like, hey, you know, it was so good to meet you here. I'm enjoying the show and all like just small talking like that. I was scared to death, too. <laughs> and Be- I, I think that's hilarious because I'm just a guy like on the grand scheme of things when it comes to wrestling, especially Chikara. Like I, I was like the bottom of the, I was the bottom rung of the ladder. See, but I saw you as here's the guy in everything for Chikara and he calls the matches and I'm listening to his podcast and he has, you know, uh, th- this podcast network and all and he's doing all these things. And I wish I could I wish I could be at that level and do this stuff, too. And that's a funny thing, because I do know you now and I know you would have been like, what's up? You know, you are you guys staying after the show? Like, I got stuff to do. But if you want to walk along with me or something like you know, we can chat and all. I vaguely remember us uh, at least chatting a bit at intermission, right? A little bit, yeah, but I was still scared to death. And then, of course, it's intermission, so I, I'm there. I got to get an autograph, and <laughs> I, I had, I had no money at time. Now it would have made sense to, you know, starstruck as I'm being here to get your autograph or a little more with you. But I went over and I have Mantis's autograph on uh, one of the early issues of Atomic Elbow. Okay. So and uh, Mantis was fantastic talking to me about it. He he, I think he was like, why does some random guy in Syracuse have this? Like, because this is not our usual crowd. And I, when we, when you guys get to it for ad odds, I'll I'll make the points again. That was not a Chikara crowd. That was a crowd going to see wrestling that weren't in on the joke i'll say yeah warm- and and that would happen a lot of times in a new market you know yeah they warmed up to it they figured out what was going on but it took a while yeah so i kind of felt like by intermission some people possibly manis were like all right well like why are we here yeah <laughs> syracuse isn't really like a destination for us <laughs> i think anytime we left the lehigh valley mantis was like why are we here <laughs> Well, and the funny thing for that one was we all met up because, like, Educator's front row with me, Elise's front row with me for it. I'm right on the corner, too. So as everyone's coming in, you see us right there. So when this comes up for odds, I'm on I'm on camera maybe more than you are for it. And I know oh. where you're – I know where you're, the commentator station was set up for. Because that was a funny thing, too. I never realized for Chikar one, I could hear the commentary the whole time mm-hmm. just because of where you guys were set up. Right. I mean, I loved it. I had a blast. Yeah, and, and and so that was something that was always kind of conscious of, and I think there were even fans that would do that um, when I would do commentary for Chikara or wherever else I did commentary after that. You know, if I was regulars and they were regulars and they were fans of what I did, they would try to sit near commentary because, you know, I'm a loud mouth. And they would I would project and they would be able to hear me and whoever I was with. Usually they would be able to project as well. So it was like they were getting the show live with the commentary and it wasn't intrusive over like the house, the house speakers like there have been shows and are still shows to this day that do it that way. 
you're right and it, it can get very annoying when it's over the loudspeakers for everyone and especially if if it's on purpose that's one thing i don't like it but if it's your deal it's when they didn't do it on purpose and you got people cutting the feed in and out all night while they figure out how to fix it that's even worse yeah <laughs> so we, oh go ahead i'm sorry uh, nope go ahead because I'm curious I, where you're going to go next before I. Yeah, I didn't know what like I don't know what else about wrestling uh, that you have for me. You know, I'm I'm pretty relatively inactive these days. Um, and again, I I'm not going to say it again, but I saw this weekend as we record a bunch of people like posting their lists of like, oh, who I'd love to wrestle with. You know, you get to see that, and I don't know if you can blame or fault Cody for that when he got released by the World Wrestling Entertainment all those years ago. Um, and a lot of people do that now and I don't know, I don't show up on a lot of people's lists. I kind of take what I do for granted, I think. So when I hear you say, it's like, oh, that's the guy that does this and, you know, uh, runs the, has a podcast and does the commentary and he did all these other things in Chikara. And like, I don't look at myself with that eye. Um, but then I, there's other people that I do look at that, them with that eye. So I get where you're coming from, but I can't look at myself that way. But anyway, um, where I was going with this is like, I'm kind of done, you know, outside of doing Mantis's shows, but it's not like I'm refusing a lot of offers. Um, the day may come where I might get to call a match for AIW absolute intense wrestling in Cleveland again. Um, but the only thing that's preventing me from going out there is me, you know, just cause I don't feel comfortable traveling yet and being in crowds of people just yet. Um, and it's not like John has explicitly said to me, John Thorne, who runs AIW, has explicitly said, like, hey, I want you to come out for these shows. But, you know, we have a friendship. We talk every day. Um, he's one of the last be- he's one of the few reasons that I still have uh, Facebook because of Facebook Messenger that I talk to him through. You know, um, I don't look at really much else on Facebook unless I get tagged and stuff. And then I have no choice but to look at it. And I make that the the hard and fast decision to say do i approve this or not <laughs> um oh that's a fun story uh-oh so uh i don't know how i did it i couldn't tell you how i did it because i did it so long ago um but let's say 2006 2007 early facebook days people would go on facebook and tag you know however many people you could tag at once um and it would be like wrestlers, Chikara people today, or CCW people yep. today, or Ring of Honor yep. people today, or whatever it is. And they would tag you in a picture, and that picture would show up on your timeline. And it would typically be a picture of hardcore pornography. Yep. Graphic hardcore pornography. And so here it is, like, me and Claudio and Jigsaw and Eddie Kingston and all these other people are tagged in different parts of the picture of the hardcore pornography. So there was an intercompany email that was sent out with instructions of how to set up your Facebook profile so that if you are tagged in a photo, (laughs) now it gives you an option to approve it before it goes out to your Facebook wall or profile or whatever the hell it is on Facebook. So I've had that in place forever, and that's not a problem on Facebook anymore. Um, But anytime like a family member, I go to a family function or my wife does something and she tags me in it. Usually I get the notifications of a post that I'm tagged in before I get the notification of the post that I'm tagged in to approve it, to put it up on my page. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I do it for that. 
Uh, when I get tagged in family things, I uh, repost, share, whatever. Uh, the comic book shops page, because he does a lot of his stuff through Facebook. Because he has like a Facebook marketplace thing set up for stuff at his store. And then, uh, like I said, I use it for uh, Facebook Messenger to talk to John from AIW. But, like I said, uh, it's not like people are beating down my door. Um, the the state of independent wrestling commentary is another issue and concern that we could talk about or not talk about or whatever. Um, but, like I said, not getting a lot of offers. Not that I would say yes to any of them. Um, I'm happy with the offer that's on the table for AIW and whenever Mantis runs another show that I'm doing that. Well, look at the stuff you've done for wrestling, how far you went in your time. And then I would say neither quit nor retired, but you're just picking, you're being very selective for it. We'll say, but all the stuff you did and you, and you mentioned April as well is I showed up, I did my job. And because unfortunately I'm one of the few that did it, I got further So because gonna, so many I, other people are slacking with it. I'm going to say this. I showed up. I did my job better than other people around me for little to no pay. That's the key part. <laughs> oh, it's the no, little, little to no to pay no part. Pay. Recognition, <laughs> a free tracksuit at the end of the year that everyone else had to pay a hundred bucks for. But I don't think I got paid for my first Chikara show for almost two years into doing Chikara. Um, but like I said, then I was just kind of just showing up and doing, you know, fill in whatever role they needed me to fill for those first two years and not being like a huge regular on commentary until like the end of 2006, 2007. And then I was doing more and more stuff. But like when I would drive down to, to Allentown to film stuff, uh, you know, for podcast to go, go or special updates or whatever it was, I wasn't getting paid for that. It was just like, Joe, we need you here today. Okay. Um, we need you uh, after you just got back from vacation and you broke your leg. We need you to drive down to Allentown to the street so you and Jerry could film a vignette explaining why, uh, you know, he was allowed to win the Young Lions Cup again after whatever, whatever, right? Okay, me and Jerry drove down there behind the building. He got into his gear. I got into my suit. Uh, I We had to do a very good job of hiding the fact that I had a broken leg. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just that's the way that it was. And I, I always think to myself – I'm glad that I did not have that gumption or I don't want to say like fearlessness, but initiative, initiative, right? So let's say that initiative in 2005 when Quack calls me and says, we want you to be, you know, we want to give a face to Leonard of Chikaris. And I said, yes. When Sweeney says to me in October of 2005, next time I do commentary, you're doing it with me. And I say, yes. The next time this happens or the next time that happens, and I say yes to all those things, okay? If I had that mindset in 1995 when I was going to ECW arena shows and I knew that getting into the business as was as easy as showing up early, working hard, willingness to work hard for little to no money, who knows what my life would have been in 1995, 1996, 1997, you know? Because there were people that I would go and hang out with or meet in the ECW arena crowd that I would see years later become part of ECW in a variety of ways, become wrestlers or become whatever. But I was 18, 19, 20 years old. I, 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 I didn't have that initiative. I didn't have that drive. I didn't know that it was that easy to get involved in the wrestling world. 
in 2004-2005, I did know. Okay, now, how much of this, Just I'm going with the years and the time frame and all, how much of this do you feel in your head changed when you became a dad, though, of, okay, I can't do this stuff for free because someone's relying on me. I can't just take off as much as I may have wanted to because someone's, you know, there's this other being in my house now. Like, okay. And I'm just saying when, when we brought Declan home was the scariest night of my life. Like at least his mom, you know, was here for when we brought him home from the hospital. Oh, I'll get this ready for you. I'll get this ready. And I'll just being here. And then she said, okay, you guys ate dinner. I'll see you later. Where are you going? Well, I'm going home. You're not staying here. No. Well, who's coming instead? No one. It's your kid. You get, I'll see you in the morning. I don't think I slept that night. I was scared to death. Like, I don't know what the hell to do. Where are the adults? Adults should show up to help us with this. <laughs> but, so, like, life-changing. Okay. So, I think, and again, I don't know what the circumstances were with yourself and Elise, but, like I said, April and I started dating in 2001. I engaged to her 2004. We got married in 2006. We didn't have a kid until 2011, right? So once we moved in, uh, and again, getting into this, of course, this is, you know, old school dad's traction, which is another podcast uh, that I did all that long time ago. So the guy, Brian, that I used to do dad's tractions with, that's who I saw this past weekend. Oh, all right. Bringing it all together. <laughs> Bring that all to closing that loop, right? So we get married in 2006, and I was never in a position to say, like, I was ready to have kids whenever, but it wasn't my decision. It wasn't my wife's decision. It was our decision, whenever that was going to be. And, you know, and she had said in like 2000, 9 2010 that she was ready i go okay well, i go when you're ready we'll you know start trying and you know we'll start peeling stuff back now at this at the time i was also not only doing um chikara but i was also doing dragon gate usa and i was also doing evolve uh i was on pod van dam the other day and i made the joke um that uh you know, I was I was the commentator that was there right before everything happened. I was the commentator <laughs> for Evolve right before they got the WWE deal. I was the commentator at GCW before they blew up huge. I was the commentator at Chikar before it got closed down for harboring tons and tons of sex pests. Um, but once we decided that we were going to start to try to have a family, that was when, you know, I said to Gabe. And I would also take, like, other, like, local bookings. If, like, there was a local company, friends of someone's, like, hey, Joe would do commentary, I would go. It'd be something local, hour, hour and a half drive, no big deal. It'd be, like, a Friday night or a Saturday night or whatever it was, I would do those. So once we decided that I was going to have a family, I started peeling those back. I'm, like, not taking any more of those. And I told Gabe, I said, hey, we're looking to start a family, which means I'm going to start wrapping up my time in the road. Uh, Give me until the summer. And then I think it was, like, the Wrestle – whatever the WrestleMania – um, WrestleMania that was in Georgia, the one that was Ms. Cena as the main event. Oh, geez. That okay. Was, Jerry Lawler I'm, versus Michael Cole. Yep. Uh, that WrestleMania. So it was that weekend. Like, we were going to go to the summer, but it was that weekend. We're like, okay, we're done here. Like, we've gotten it. We're off the road. Thank you, but no thank you. You know, we appreciate your time. And then it was like, I think that next year, we're like, Evolve and Dragon Gate blew up to this huge thing. I think I was the one holding them back. But <laughs> then once we had our kid, it was like, okay, 
And I had said to Mike, if I'm going to continue to do this, you know, I, I, I need to be looked at as not. Um, uh, and again, I don't want to use the the phrasing or the verbiage taken at grant taken advantage of. Right. Because that's not what it was. Um, but it was more like taken for granted. Like, OK, if we run a show, Joe's definitely going to be there. We don't need to talk. We don't need to contact him. We don't need to whatever. Right. But once we we had the fan, once we started, once Asa was here, beginning of 2012, and little did I know that was like he, Asa was born in October of 2011, 2012 is when Mike and I had this discussion that like I needed to be booked like you would book another outside talent. This is how much money I want. This is what I want for trans, depending on where we're going. And I wasn't asking for like the world, you know, I wasn't looking to make myself rich i was looking to make myself even i was looking to make myself enough to cover my gas and trans and maybe get like a coffee on the ride home you know what i mean yeah i was looking to not lose money but it was one of these things where it was like this is what i want and you can't just assume i'm going to show up at every show you need to book me quote unquote like you would book anyone else and that was difficult for mike and in the beginning of that year I missed a couple shows because Mike didn't contact me and he was kind of taking for granted that I would just show up at every show because I'd always done so for the previous seven years. But things are different now and this is how it needs to be going forward. And then it was maybe me that kind of pushed back a little bit on like asking to be doing too much like outside of Chikar, which was fine because maybe I might have did a lot of the stuff on my company time of looking things up and writing things and so on and so forth. So I didn't mind so much, but when that got to be so much, I was like, the next thing that I get asked to do, I'm asking for more money. And literally, as I was saying that to someone, Mike's like, hey, I need you to do this extra thing. And I go, okay, before you now ask me to do like an extra thing, not at shows, after we've already had a discussion about you paying me and treating me like a talent and not taking for granted of just, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be there. Um, I would like more money. If you're going to have me doing these more things, I want more money. And then he sends out this whole thing to the whole crew that's starting at the beginning of the new year. Everyone's getting a bump up in pay. And, you know, here's why. And here's this. And here's everything else. And then that took me about three months worth of time to get that bump up in pay that I was promised that I had an email of. And after the first time, um, you know, and there's a lot of etiquette stuff in independent wrestling. But, you know, and there's a lot of things that you could split regarding um you know yeah like oh the old timers say do it this way the old timers don't say to do it this way or whatever it is but um i say if you are doing anything that you're putting your body you're go away from your friends you're away from your family um it's a skill that you have learned that a skill that someone wants to be part of their event then you should be paid accordingly for that um and if somebody says to you get you next time kid or, uh, you know, we're all doing it. We're all suffering for our art. I'm like, no, you're suffering for your art. You're paying me. Um, but uh, after the first time, I got short into my envelope. When we would get our envelopes before the show, I would open my envelope in the meeting. And when the meeting was over, I would go up to Mike and say, I'm short. You know, I have an email from you that says you were going to pay me this much and I only have this much. I want my extra money. 
And uh, he, it turns out he told me he was looking at a different spreadsheet. And it turns out that that may or may not be the same excuse that he used in a lot of other people as well. <laughs> um, and a lot of other people just kind of let it slide. And maybe one or two people didn't. And if you you know me and you know who we talk to and you know who I'm friends with today regarding this, you might know who those people are, especially maybe when they were going through training and they were keeping track of their payments and how much money they had left. And sometimes Mike would be like, oh, now you owe us extra money. And they immediately just had all the receipts in their phone ready to go and say, nope, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. I'm clear as of this check right here. Oh, I must have been looking at a different spreadsheet. And as someone who is a big fan of spreadsheets, <laughs> that is difficult to do uh, unless you are very bad at spreadsheets. I, I'm i not going to ask you to answer on there, but I feel like someone that I know you are friends with that would have been around at this time that has a very intimidating persona on TV may have may have been one of the ones that had the receipts um no no um so i got you know again you're gonna so i mentioned before about pay when it comes to professional wrestling or comes to any sort of form of art quote unquote right um you as a performer if you have friends that are being booked you should absolutely talk about how much you're getting paid you should let your friends know if you're all working a show, hey, this guy's a good payoff. Hey, this guy promised me X and he only gave me Y. Or hey, this guy promised me X and gave me zero. You need to be that person with your friend. Now, obviously, it's now my decision as your friend of whether or not I want to tell you that. And I would hope that you and your friends are close enough that you have that camaraderie and you may not have that camaraderie with me. But there were many a car trips. Um where it'd be myself and maybe people that are on TV currently, as you're referring to. <laughs> and we all talked about our money, whether it be money at the show that was not a Chikar show that we were all working and kind of comparing it to what we were getting paid in Chikar and just saying like, well, they give me this. How come Chikar can't give me that? You know, this company is here. Chikar currently is here above them. Why not? And then what ended up happening was more times than not, in Chikara, sadly, once you pushed for what you felt you were worth because you were wrestling on other shows, um, you would get the looking at the wrong spreadsheet excuse or you would slowly get phased out. Um, one person that you're talking about in particular, and again, maybe we mentioned before, maybe we didn't, uh, his thing was, hey, can you pay for my flight? I'm living in Florida now. You Can you pay for my flight? Uh, to Florida if you want to book me? And the answer was no. So that person stopped being booked in Chicago because they did not want to spend money on a flight, um, you know, that the promoter did spend money on flights for other people, but wouldn't spend money on a flight for him or them because they uh, were looked at as still a student, even though they had not been a student since 2003. And we're traveling all over the world and getting paid much, much better. And I get a lot of people like, oh, that's the promotion I broke in at or that's my trainer. So I'll work there a little bit less. OK, it's going to get to a point, though, where you need to 
get the same pay or more everywhere. You can't say I'm doing these people a favor because once the word gets out that you're doing favors for one person, you're going to be doing favors for everyone or you're just going to stop being booked. That's that whole being taken, not being taken advantage of, but being taken for granted. Well, and the pay thing, I mean, you've been super secret science job for many years. Yes. But me, relatively fresh out of retail, there's more employees than there are managers. There's more wrestlers than there are promoters. And yet people who are higher up will always divide and will always threaten. No, you can't talk about money. You could get fired. You could get reprimanded. You could no longer be booked. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that because they don't want everyone talking and being on the same side, bringing your uh, aggravations, your grievances, your whatever higher up. They'd rather all of us, us, universal but all of us fight amongst ourselves as opposed to coming as united front of you're paying this person this amount of money who's at the same level of me why aren't we making the same money so they don't want you to know any of that right they don't but obviously that should be known you know um and there were other times and there were like different groups and classes of students that would come up through chikara and like let's say there was a group of like five people that came up Okay, and they all kind of came up through the school together. They all trained together. They all traveled together, did the ring crew together. They all got their gimmicks more or less around the same time. And they all start working shows more or less around the same time within like a month or two of each other. And then Mike would purposely go out of their way and like, okay, here's envelopes for the four of yous. Well, there's five of us. Here's envelopes for the four of you. And purposely, as a power move, specifically not pay one of them. And say, even though you started at the same time, even though you've been working shows, even though X, Y, Z, I don't feel you're worthy enough to get a pay, uh, uh, an, an, an envelope yet. And it was absolutely a power move. And, like, it's one thing to do it in secret, but it's another thing to not know that those five guys or girls or people aren't going to talk amongst each other and be like, one, that was real shitty to do it in front of all of us. But like what he gave us wasn't like this earth shattering money. You know, he might've been able to dig this out of his couch cushions and been able to give this to you as well. And and then you got to, so now the argument becomes between the five. Well, four of us got paid. Do we act like he's the bar back and we're going to tip him out out of our money? But I worked hard for that money and I didn't really get that much money to start with. So you got a division happening here. Right. Oh, and that's part of the power and, move. And I and I'll be honest with you, I don't know what those that group of five guys did. I just know that they were hot about it, and rightfully so. No, but this this doesn't even have to be those five guys. This can be any five in such a situation. This could be people working five people working at Applebee's being put into such a situation. Sure. It's a power move. You're going to divide them where really the best course would be all five of us need to team up and go higher with this or go to anyone we can here and be a united front. But that's not what's going to take place with people that know how to manipulate. Burry, right. I'm going to. And obviously that's the key, knowing how to manipulate. Yeah. Speaking of money, though, I have another question. I'm going to leave the comic stuff aside. I have a feeling you and I will talk again one day. So I'll have I'll have stuff for, for but speaking of money. So 
why with you you need to be paid for your time for your talent for your hard work and everything and then you take that and you decide you know i feel like i need to provide hours of content for free for people to listen to (laughs) so Uh, where where in all this did you sit down and go you know i think i'm gonna put out one of these podcasts (laughs) so oh boy uh 2009 maybe was real early in the days of podcasting right yep was that three guys from nowhere or that was three guys from nowhere. So where three guys from nowhere comes from is Todd, who I was friendly with at the comic book shop, but Todd, you know, Todd was a little bit older than me and we didn't run in the same circles. And like, it was just like, he was like my comic shop buddy. We would talk and then our, like the times that we would go to the comic book shop wouldn't line up. And then we wouldn't see each other for like months on end, but what we would see each other we would just pick up like nothing ever changed. And we'd talk about comic books, talking about other, other things. People would come in and out of the conversations and stuff like this. So Todd started doing a podcast and I can't remember the name of it, but it was like something like the nerd herd or something like that. Right. And, uh, I listened to it. And again, it's 2009 podcasts were very different then and you'll hear when we we get into my discussion of our the initial three guys from nowhere so i say that i see todd at the shop maybe like after an episode or two or whatever because like he posted it on his facebook page right you know i'm like all right listen to this (laughs) and it wasn't great right it's not like the content wasn't great um because the content itself wasn't great but it wasn't very good like audio quality either like uh, that was really the beginning of like the pet, my pet peeves list of, co- of, of podcasting, like the chewing into the mic, people not talking into the mic, um, you know, all sorts of things like that. So I see Todd maybe after like an episode or two. Oh, Hey, what are you doing over there? Um, <laughs> are you doing that on purpose to, to screw with no, me? Nope. Absolutely not. I went to grab something and I bumped into my table i apologize it is better than the last time i recorded when my cat jumped up on everything <laughs> I, I i had closed the door and it snuck in here i i shut the i shut the door and i pushed the door shut and the cat has only come in like once or twice but there was one time where uh the cat was in here and i shut the door on the cat but the cat had like hidden or fell asleep or some shit so i'm doing the podcast and all of a sudden i hear the meowing of the cat and i'm like what the hell is going on? And I look and I see the cat at the door, like trying to get out of the door, but also looking at me like, I can't figure this out. Oh, so I'm like, God damn it. And I had to shut the door. I like, I had to write down a time code. I'm like, I got to edit out the fucking cat stuff. You're right. So there, I, there's my one curse, by the way. So I'm sorry. No, no, I, I apologize. I heard, I heard something outside and considering when we're taping this, I said, is that thunder or is that fireworks? Gotcha. Okay. And I go to look out the window and I hit into it. So I apologize. There's good timing for it, though. <laughs> uh, so so I listen to two episodes of the show and I see Todd at the shop and I go to him. I go, hey, I listen to your podcast. And, bef- and like Todd, you know, if you listen to Longbox Heroes, you know, Todd is kind of self-deprecating in a bit. And I, I, you know, I'm self-deprecating by nature, but I try to keep it off the podcast. You know, I keep it for my personal life, and sometimes it slips over onto uh, After Dark. But 
Uh, Todd, like I said, very self-deprecating. I said, I listen to the podcast and he goes, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. It's terrible. And I go, <laughs> no, it's not terrible. I go, but, you know, maybe do this or do that and do this. And Todd's like, I wish I could do a podcast with you. Like the conversations that we have here at the shop are so much better than the conversations I have with these people. He goes, they're my friends. But he goes, I feel as though like our conversations there are forced. I feel as though if me and you or me, you and DJ are but DJ, who I might have mentioned before from uh, We Need Wrestling. He goes, I think if we did a podcast, he goes, I think it would be much better. I go, OK, well, let me look into to see what doing a podcast is all about. Right. And again, it's 2009. So uh, we're all doing it off our phones. Uh, we're we're all dialing into something called freeconferencecall.com. Oh, God. Where we all have to dial into this thing because we're all doing it remotely, right? Because we all live, you know, kind of like we're each about 30 miles away in a triangle from each other. Like I'm 30 miles away one direction from DJ and Todd's 30 miles away the other way and then vice versa, right? We're like almost like a perfect triangle of like 30 to 35 miles away from each other. So we do this free conference call thing. We're doing it on like Friday nights because Todd and I both have no lives. Um, <laughs> and there's a couple times where we have to drop it. And oh, and so the other thing is this is around the time where I think. Uh, oh, so it's around my wrestling schedule. I think we bumped a couple times because like I had wrestling on Fridays, which was no big deal. And then I think maybe after doing it for about three or four months. DJ was like, hey, I'm younger than you guys. I actually have a life. Peace out, you know? <laughs> and I completely understood, you know? Um, so then Todd and I were just doing it by ourselves. And we just kind of, we did it for a year. And we're like, okay, this is what it was. Um, I don't know how much further it's going to go from here. So let's kind of call it a day. We could say we did a podcast and it's it's done, you know, and it kind of helped strengthen our friendship. And we would kind of get together like that. So through Chikara, Mike Krakenbush with his friend Clayton Morris, uh, go ahead and Google that name and have fun for many hours. Uh, they had a podcast network and they were starting to expand it with a sports show and a parenting thing, and a this show, and a that show, and they can't, and Mike reached out to me, and said, hey, uh, Joe, you still do that comic book podcast? And I'm like, yeah, you know, occasionally. I would done it for like nine months at that point. Occasionally, because I know better now. I don't say no. I say yes, but, or kind of, sort of, but never no, right? So he goes, how would you guys like to bring that over to us? I go, okay. Uh, so I contact Todd, and Again, contact Mike, and I go, what do we need to do for it? And they're like, nothing. Uh, we're going to send you microphones. Uh, you record, and you're going to send the files to this guy. Uh, he's going to edit it. He's going to post it. We're going to host everything. We're going to do everything. And you guys are going to get paid for it, too. Um, in, and we're like, in an envelope? Oh, well, okay. So we <laughs> have in in at, like in show sponsorship things that we would read. Uh, one was for this thing, and maybe you've heard us joke about it on the current show. The handy holder. The handy holder. Uh, <laughs> the transporter. And I bake, transporter. And bake me a wish. Yup. 
Uh, so those were our early sponsors uh, on the podcast. Now, again, bear in mind, this is 2011, maybe? Podcasts are starting to come up a little bit, but they're not anywhere near where they are today. Um, a lot of shows didn't have sponsors, or if they did, it was like, hey, here's our Amazon thing, you know? And that's one of the things that we still have for uh, uh, Longbox Heroes today is the uh, Amazon click-through, but... We would get Todd and I, and again at this point, I'm you know whatever. Uh, we would get a quarterly check for six hundred dollars each. Oh, jeez, cha-ching as Todd. Cha-ching, right? Yeah. You know, um, and we got sent a handy holder, and we got sent a transporter, and we got sent a cake, you know, to try it out and talk about it, whatever it was, and you know, I think I gave the transporter to goodwill and i think the handy <laughs> holder is in a drawer somewhere and i i ate that cake i'll tell you that much the cake was good but then it got to be to a point where like we're still reading the ad copy for these things and uh we're not getting checks anymore and we're like uh hey uh still reading the ad copy we got but we haven't gotten a check in like two months you know usually we get these checks every two months or three months or whatever it is and uh, we're like, yeah, we don't have them as a sponsor anymore. Sorry, should have told you. <laughs> okay, so we did this ad for three months and we're getting nothing for it. Yeah, we're working on something, right? Okay. So now we notice that, like, for the previous three months, like, it's now three months in. Like, it was on, like, a th rolling three-month cycle. You know, we do that, or two months, or three months, or whatever it is. I forget what it was. But let's say it's three months, right? So we do the ad for three months. And three months after that, we would get that check, right? So we do that ad for that three months and then so on and so forth. So we do that ad for the three months that we're told don't do it anymore. And then we had a fight actually to get that last check that we were supposed to get. Like I went to Mike and I'm like, hey, Mike, I go, what's going on? We've been doing this for six, you know, six months and haven't gotten paid for it. Three of those six months we did it like so <laughs> for the six months we did it with an ad read three of the six months. It was supposed to be a check. The other three months, we were told after the fact that they were no longer an ad. So, hey, Clayton's not returning our emails. What's going on? So Mike did go to bat for us and got us those checks. But those are the last checks that we got. And that was July of 2013, let's say. And that was under Weekly Longbox, right? This was under Weekly Longbox. The name had changed from Three Guys From Nowhere to Weekly Longbox. And through that and like through industriousness on my end and Todd's end, it's like, hey, we have a podcast. Hey, we're part of this network. Hey, our show comes out every week. It's this time. It's at this site. It's family friendly. We talk about the things, so on and so forth. And we send something like that out to every publisher. DC, nothing. Marvel immediate was like, hey, we don't do review copies for podcasts thanks but no thanks but it was because of that that we got and still get to these this day review copies for a lot of major companies right and that we're still on mailing lists and comp lists for a lot of other things you know um and it would be something that i would send out like kind of like yearly or every six months just kind of updating it like well removing this and adding that and like oh when we had like different people on the shows and stuff i would like here's a link to the time that we interviewed gail simone and here's a link to the time that we interviewed jimmy palmiotti or here's a time that we interviewed jeff lemire or whatever it was right 
So it's just like, hey, we're not just some fly-by-night company. We've been around for years. We're a regular thing. We've had, like, industry, you know, professionals on the show. Put us on your mailing list. Come back to us. You know what I mean? I know there's hundreds, if not thousands, of comic book podcasts out there. But I don't know. Here's us. You know, we're reaching out to you. You get this email from us every six months. You're either already on the chain or you're not, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all, I had already done that at the beginning of Weekly Longbox. Then after we had to fight to get that check in July of 2013, we now get to what would be October of 2013. And I see the writing on the wall that we are not a priority for Clayton, for Mike, for whatever the podcast network is, Grizzly Bear Egg uh, Cafe Podcast Network, whatever the hell, Grizzly Productions, whatever, right? I go, I need now to use these next two to three months to start figuring out how we could do this on our own in the way that we're currently doing it, where it's somewhat professionally edited. And listen, I do a slapdash piss poor job of editing my show. I <laughs> told about it this weekend. It is what it is. You know, I'm going to put the condenser on it this week. It'll sound great. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so we need to look about getting a site to host the show. We need to get a, about buying a URL. We need to figure out how we can monetize the show and have whatever it is. And like I said, we're talking about money um, on a good month. Um, you know, between Amazon and the Patreon, Todd and I split on a good month. We split about 150 bucks and on a bad month, we split about a hundred bucks. So that's not so bad. And, you know, there was a time before the Patreon when Brian from Dad Distractions was doing the editing for us that the, that money was being split three ways. It's like, well, we're doing the show. He's editing the show. I feel it's only fair that it should be this way. And then one day out of the blue, Brian's like, yeah, I'm not editing your guy's show anymore. I don't like doing it. I go, okay. <laughs> uh, couldn't you send me the program that you use so I could figure it out? And he's like, yeah, here you go. Uh, and then I took a weekend to figure it out. And there was some growing pains and everything else like that. But we got it figured out. And... Um, you know, it was just one of those things that at least the comic book one was this is a conversation that Todd and I would have all the time at the comic book shop. And there's the bad joke from Family Guy. It's like, hey, this inane, boring conversation that we're having, this could be a podcast. But like our our, our after dark sometimes could be boring and inane, and inane. But I think Long Longbox Heroes, uh, which it is now from going from weekly Longbox to Longbox Heroes. Uh, is a pointed, targeted, you know, bip, bip, bip. And I definitely stole the format from other shows. Uh, there's a show that I listened to called House to Astonish that at least the flow of the show I lifted liberally from them. Uh, there's another podcast. It's a film podcast called The Film Vault that aspects and elements of our show I lifted from them. And see, a lot of this stuff is because Todd doesn't listen to any podcast whatsoever. I listen to dozens of podcasts, if not hundreds of podcasts, that I can like, oh, I like this, and I like this, and I can like the way that they do this, and I like the way that they do this. Like, more recently, um, on our show, I've been kind of doing a little bit more to try to push our Patreon um, to get more people to sign up for the Patreon, kind of like putting over how much the value of it is. And I've absolutely lifted that from the Our Vantage Point podcast, the OVP Wrestling podcast, um, 
you know, I tried the one thing that they do where they're like, hey, we're giving out a free subscription this month. And it's essentially like you contact them. And whether you go into the $2 or the $5 level, they're going to PayPal you that with the fees. They cover the fees and they say, hey, use it on this. And I'm sure they've gotten burned where people have contacted them and say, hey, I want the thing. They PayPal them the five bucks, or the two bucks or whatever it is. And then that person never signs up. But I tried to do that with our Patreon and like say, hey, uh, contact me. I'll give you a free subscription this weekend for a month of the podcast. And nobody bit. And I'm like, OK. That definitely doesn't work for us. We're not big enough. Obviously, they have a much larger audience th than we do. I look at their Twitter, uh, uh, their Twitter follows and their Twitter interactions, and they're just so you know uh, you can because they have a Podbean. You can look at like their site 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 statistics and stuff. You can look at their number of patrons. I'm like, okay, we're much smaller than they are. We can't go to the big thing, but at least I can kind of use a lot of the same verbiage and thoughts and feels and ideas that they do to help push and promote their Patreon. And it worked. We got three new patrons over the weekend, you know? Um, so I can't complain. And we're still trying to just kind of work out what the Patreon is there. Um, but, you know, I feel as though um, we've built up a fan base. Our comic book podcast is different for better or for worse than any other comic book podcast out there. Um, and I still get twinges of jealousy. Um, I mentioned this to someone in private, but a friend of a friend of mine who does a podcast, uh, they do a show on another network. And I went, I look because I downloaded it and I see some of the other shows and I looked at what one of their comic book shows, like they have a comic book. There's a lot of wrestling stuff, but it's also, it's like kind of like soon to be named network, I guess, because I look at their podcasts and it's like a ton of wrestling shows one comic book show and then like one like kind of like general multimedia whatever show right so i look at the comic book one i'm like oh that's an interesting idea i like the, the 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 log line for what this episode is about and i go and i look and i've learned recently and this is actually something i'm not going to give away here it's something i'm going to give away on my show this week or whenever this comes out and whatever the next after dark is um I need to be more mindful of who on the show account we auto follow back. Mm. That's all I'll say. Okay. This I'll, I'll, I'll tip you off. I <laughs> have this planned for Thursday. So depending if they are a Patreon or not, they may yes. have already listened or they might have to wait till Friday. Right. <laughs> there, there you go. Okay, perfect. So um, I just need to be more mindful of who I follow back because there are people who just auto follows like I'm gonna follow a hundred wrestling accounts today, or I'm gonna follow a hundred comic book accounts today, and both the wrestling show at Oz with Wrestling and the comic book show Long Bucks Heroes are set up. If you follow me, I follow you back. Well, uh, sometimes when you do that and you're not vetting who you are following, sometimes you fall into the sphere of this person that you're following is doing bad things on Twitter. So maybe someone that you respect and admire greatly ends up blocking you <laughs> because you automatically followed back someone who was a bad person. Well, uh, to tip off when we're taping this, this now means I'm staying up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I get that Patreon app alert, I'll be like, okay. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you when we're done recording. You know, I'm just trying oh, to. I'm, uh, I'm, oh, I'm part of that now. Dude, I'll like. At least one of the shows every week is this is a story for off the air. I'm like, come on. 
that's now the, I'm now I'm a part of it. Hundred dollar tier on the Patreon that doesn't <laughs> exist yet. Well, it, it's comforting to hear you say this stuff. Now, a thing a friend said to me that I have taken for years is there are no real adults. Remember when we were kids and we thought like mom and dad paid every bill on time and knew what they were doing in their life and had a grand plan and everything. And then we got older and realized all adults are just faking it. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually said to someone this weekend, just because I have a kid and a mortgage and I'm 44 years old does not make me an, ad- an adult, right? No, absolutely not. I, I've never felt like an adult. I think you, as an adult, don't become an adult until your child is an adult, or what passes for an adult. And even then, it's tenuous at best, right? But I could see that. And the way my dad treats me for some things is as an adult, and other things I feel like a child still. Absolutely. Depends on what it is. 100%. 100%. But and I, know I know you had mentioned this before, and I have diarrhea of the mouth, and you had mentioned about how, when you guys brought Declan home. And you guys were very nervous about it, and rightfully so. Um, when we brought Asa home, um, because – and again, I, oh, my God. Like I said, we've got, I've gotten off on so many other tangents. I apologize. You're this show is going to sound like a disaster, but it's going to sound like almost a human conversation, right? You're, you're committing to yourself. I will have to do another episode with you eventually for all the stuff we didn't get to talk to this time. Okay. Morning. So – because April and I had been together by the time that we brought, and again, I don't know how long you, would have, you and Elise had been together when you guys had Declan, but Ace, April and I had been together for over 10 years. Uh, we'd been homeowners at that point for the better part of six years. We'd kind of gotten our routine. We had gotten our, like, faking it down or whatever it was, and we were ready. We were prepared to have a kid. And when we brought Asa home from the hospital, we were ready. We were prepared. And we weren't, and again, keep bearing in mind, notice what I'm saying. We, 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 <laughs> the first night that I had to be alone with him was the first night I was scared out of my mind. April came home to find me crying, holding a crying baby, not knowing what was going on or how to fix this or how to help this because we'd worked so much together as we she was able to handle these things on her own because she got, you know, three months off from work. Asa was born. I rolled out of the, you know what I mean? I missed one day of work and then I went back to work. I did not get time off from work. So she was doing a lot of it on her own. I was not, you know, like anytime that I was there with the baby, it was always me and her. And then it was, I think, two months in was the first night. She's like, I have something I have to do. It was like a continuing education thing for her for her job she's like i have to do this so you're gonna be home with asa for four hours by yourself and it went poorly um so you know it's i just wanted to kind of get back to that and tell that story is all well look looking back i feel like if god some sort of higher power came down and said this is gonna suck he's gonna scream and he's gonna cry and you're not gonna know how to solve it it's going to last an hour and a half and then he'd pass out. I'd say I could deal with an hour and a half of this. I know there's an end point, but when you're in the middle of it and you're like, I don't know if this is lasting another minute or five more hours. Yeah. That's it's the unknown of, I I'm going to break at some point Yeah. because <laughs> I don't know how long this is going to last. And we yeah. both had it at different times. Oh yeah. 
And there were and there were times after that, you know, up until he was maybe like one, you know, where April would be like, I'm going to go out and do this or I have to do that. You're home with him. It's just going to be for a couple hours. And more times than not, it would be okay. Everything would work out just fine. But it was the times where it didn't that like they stick with me, you know, and it made me feel like lesser of a person that I couldn't handle this. And, you know, it took a lot of whatever it is that people do to kind of get over that in their heads. Um, well, yeah. you, you feel like uh, every mistake I made, is this a mistake that's going to screw him up the rest of his life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what did I do wrong this time? No, it's, it's, awful it's wonderful most of the time but when it's awful it's so helpless feeling yep and as soon as you know what you're doing you're like i got this down i can figure stuff out i know i know how he works now now they're a year older and there's a whole new set of problems it's like well i gotta figure out all this crap now (laughs) it's a little bit easier when they're (laughs) this old you know like we're we're in a spot now from like eight to let's say 12 maybe where things are just going to be like uh, he needs a he needs a new pro controller before he goes on vacation or, uh, you know, it's that once a month where he gets to spend money on his V bucks, you know, mm-hmm. um, these are easy things. These are no problem. Um, it's those earlier, younger days where, you know, he was kind of all over the place and uh, this week. Uh, or, you know, once he gets to be a teenager and that's a thing, you know, we'll we'll cross that when it comes to. Well, and we have ones of now a big one is, OK, here's the answer we know school wants. If I was a teacher administering this test, here's the answer they want. You have to give the answer. But we're going to tell you a real world answer for this. That's not what the teacher's looking for. And they're both right. But we need to work you into this. So it'll be things like. Um, uh, just to pick something out of the hat here. Okay, do people mark male and or female? Okay, buddy, schools can want you to pick this. However, we have friends who are trans. We have friends who identify with these pronouns, with you know, however they do, and we will respect every one of them, and we will treat them exactly how they have to be treated. But you, at seven years old, when the teacher hands you a piece of paper, is not. This is you do have one answer to give for it. How do I explain that to a seven year old, though? Right. So that's the thing is the relationship that I have with my son is sadly we don't. Um, These are things that he, you know, at nine years old. And obviously, like I said, you know, Ace is older than your son. Um, But this is the age and the relationship that he has where dad is the. At the same time, the cool, fun, hanging out parent, but he's also the very loud, scary parent. Yep. Whereas my wife is the one that he can have those emotional conversations about or with of feelings and so forth. But it's also the one where he gives the most pushback for something that he doesn't want to do. Um. <laughs> And I'm sure that, you know, based on that chuckle, I'm sure that sounds very familiar to you. Um, I would I would like um, for it to be more even always. Right. Um, And, you know, my my thought process was when before we had a kid and when he was still a baby, 
that he would fear April, that April is the nicest, most easygoing person in the world. But it's like, you know, you always as kids growing up, it's like, wait till your father gets home. I wanted to be wait till mm-hmm. your mother gets home and have this uh, this uh, inappropriate fear that like, oh, man, if mom finds out about this, you're going to be in so much trouble. But I just think the nature of parenthood is, is that kind of always gets coded onto the father. I wish it didn't. But it does. And a lot of it just comes uh, from the fact that I have a much louder, deeper, booming, carrying voice than my wife does. So when my wife says, get in the tub right now, mister, does not have the same uh, oomph to it as when I say, get in the tub right now, mister. Even Mm -hmm. if I try to rein it back, uh, me saying it sounds a lot more threatening. Right. And it's it's the deeper voice of don't yell. I didn't mm. yell. That no. wasn't yelling. That oh, was yeah. a very serious voice. Very no BS. But that wasn't yelling yet. Mm. It's scarier nope. than your voice. I will flat out admit it. Yeah. You'll know I ha- I've, yep. Oh, and I've been told by him and by his cousins. I, I have a look, too. I don't know when that started, but they all know when that look comes over my face. We're done screwing around here <laughs> because we're about to get in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And I and I knew I need to play that part, and I know I need to do that role. But I also enjoy we uh, before you and I were recorded, um, we had to drive home. We went see my mom. We had an hour and a half drive, and I had a conversation about farts with a seven year old. That was one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me in my life. Mm-hmm. So I want that too, of course. Right. And it's like uh, that fine line of I I'm your dad, and I want to be your buddy too, but I'm your dad. Right. And I know I did not have and I do not have that relationship with my father. And I just know that I never will. Um, I did have that relationship with my mother for better, for worse for her. Um, You know, I felt as though I can be much more blunt with her uh, as a parent than I could with my father. And when I was at times, my father didn't care. Um, but I think that definitely strengthened uh, my mother and I's relationship um, as I got older and I was the first one to move out and I was the first one to get engaged. And I was the first one to be married. And I was the first one to have a kid. I think that relationship was strengthened because of my bluntness and because of my honesty and because of my forwardness with my mother. But I definitely had more in common with my mother growing up into my teenage years and in my early 20s than I did with my father, whereas my other two brothers uh, that are still with us, they more gravitated more toward my father, and they have a much different relationship with my father. Not that it's better or worse, it's just different. I completely agree, and I, when I had a kid, my relationship with my parents became different when I got married for it. Uh, stuff that you're aware of that not everyone is, but they will be soon enough. Stuff we're going through at the house right. is a different conversation with my parents. And my parents have been split since I was in first grade. So I've never seen them as a unit ever in my life. So I've always had different relationships with them. But it's also ones like I didn't know how to talk to my dad until my 30s. And we just kind of like stumbled into it. Mm-hmm. But we we fought awful in my teenage and 20s horrible like i looking back i'm thinking i actually should be grateful he still talks to me (laughs) right i think it had happened too yeah 
Um, and I, I never had a rebellious phase. I was always the good one growing up. My other three brothers had their passing and, you know, whether it be grades or whether it just be behavior or both or many other things. They had many other problems, but I was never the pro like I can remember the one time that I got in trouble. You know what I mean? Like big trouble with both of my parents. And it was probably 30 years ago this week because uh, and again, bear in mind, it's 30 years. And this is not a shameless plug for my Patreon previewing the past. But uh, some friends of uh, friends of mine, we were dropped off uh, at the mall to go see uh, Terminator 2 opening weekend. And instead of coming home. We decided to go see Terminator 2 again right afterwards. And I did not call home on the payphone to let my mom know that we would be another three plus hours late. And then when I came home three plus hours later than I said that I was going to be home, I got read the riot act for it. And I got in trouble. And I got in a lot of trouble. And I couldn't go see whatever next week movie was with all my friends, you know. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm, I've learned my lesson and I am on the straight and narrow. And, you know, I, if I'm the one person of all of my friends, that's the one that's always calling home whenever plans change, then that's the person that I will be because I learned my lesson the first time. Uh, my other brothers never did. Yeah. I, I, I will say, cause I really don't know if he listens or not. I will say I have a similar dynamic with my brother of he pushed everything that he could Mm -hmm. and I would always listen, but it was interesting the times that I got in trouble and he didn't, or the times that he got in trouble and I didn't, or, you know, yeah, the, the times that ended up weird, he still remembers to this day (laughs) and it's become, you know, our, our legends that when we're sitting around at Christmas or whatever. All right, Joe, you've been wonderful. You've been very patient with me. You've told amazing stories. But as this converts from hot tag into Hellions Talks, I, I mentioned it beforehand. I'm giving you, if you want, the opportunity to ask me any question, possibly the last time I will do this for a guest for the previous hot tag segment. If you have anything you've wanted to ask me or are curious about, now is your opportunity. So, uh, I did not know that Kevin was directly involved with one of the greatest (laughs) wrestling, early wrestling internet legends, folklore, memes, whatever you want to call it. But in the mid-2000s, there was a very famous internet personality by the name of Crone Meltzer. Uh, who was a young punk kid who would wear like a yellow feathered boa and (laughs) cut all these weird promos on the internet wrestling community as a whole. And that was one of those like bonding things that was like internet shorthand for dozens and dozens of people. And then what was it? Maybe about three or four years ago. I forget how was that? I remember the conversation to this day. It was the funniest thing. Okay. So it was when I realized that you were directly involved in this. How and why did this become a thing? 
So you realized you made some joke about him, about Crone. And I said, you know, right? And that you said, no, I don't know who he is. It's some kid. And you're explaining the story to me. And I said, you know, right? And I sent you a screenshot of the two of us sitting next to each other. And you lost your mind. <laughs> was it the picture of the thing. two of you sitting next to each other? Or was it the picture of Kevin Steen carrying him in his arms like a child around the ring? Wearing my shirt? Yes. No, it may have been both. So Treats has brought it up many times. So I'm not sharing anything out of school for certain things for his life. His dad is the main sports anchor for the news in upstate New York. Oh, look at that. Yep. He is the Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. sports anchor. Crone's dad is the weekend one. So very frequently, as you know, wrestling pay-per-views are on Sunday. We'd all be at Treats' parents' house, hanging out, getting pizza, wings, whatever. They would always entertain and host because if our kids are all here and they're friends, we know where they are and we know they are safe. Crone being younger, but his dad is working. But he also wants to watch wrestling. So we're like, yeah, this kid can come over. We know who his dad is. We know his dad's working here. It's like a little family here, whatever. He can hang out. At the same time, we're also all discovering Death Valley Driver. And we all went through the Death Valley Driver message board. And it was one of the best message boards in wrestling. And I still, somewhere in one of the boxes here, have the entire sleaze thread printed out so I could remember all the stories in it. Uh, Side note, I meant to bring (laughs) this up on Pod Van Dam when I was on. They do um, uh, they do a bit on the show now. I don't know if they'll do it for the next season. And they say that Tony Khan started it. And that always bugs me because I don't know if Tony Khan started it per se, but it was just he kind of asked the question that kind of got the ball rolling. He really contributed nothing to it. And, yeah, this is me kind of taking the piss out of Tony Khan because he's too much on his high horse. Um, but did you ever see the shoot interview? Where Honky Tonk Man and Raven go through the entire sleaze thread. Okay, and attempt to confirm or deny many of the stories. One of the best, uh, you know, why did this shoot interview happen? Oh, this is why this shoot interview happened. Shoot interviews. And considering who it is, I'm like, I still don't believe what is real and what isn't. Uh, You know, I I believe the boss, Raven, Honky Tonk Man, I'm not so sure. But there's enough. I'm like, maybe it's true. Maybe it is. I really don't care. It was fun. Right. And we, we all went through because we're all on it. And we all went through the moment where we didn't realize what a community it was. And we would tell people to shut up that we shouldn't have. We would call people out that we shouldn't have. Not realizing you guys are brand new. You got to earn your spot here. Mm-hmm. And would have people come in and attack us and everything, of course. So then we became more lurkers. I enjoyed reading it every day. I enjoyed finding out the news. I might chime in once or twice, but I knew my place. Crone, however, gets all wrapped up in this. And his last name's Crone, so that's where that comes from. Okay. His shoot last name. So we would be reading the stuff out loud to each other during pay-per-views, and he would just get mouthy with it because he's a young kid in this room. He's trying to hang with us. And he can't. But it's funnier and funnier the more he tries. The more he tries to sound tough, the more language he uses, the more he tries to like pretty much cut promos, the funnier it's getting for us. So we would purposely get him riled up. We'd find the most ridiculous things on there. And then so now we have an account for him, a Sako account for him. We're posting on there various stuff. He gets in a fight with the one I remember is the guy's screen name was Grimace. Okay. 
And I, I was a regular lurker. I have, I think even to this day, I have less than 200 posts altogether. Uh, yeah. But I haven't been in quite some time. But I should dip my toe back in just to give it a whirl, you know? Oh, oh I'm thinking the same thing right now. Like, oh, it's been yeah. forever since I've been on there. But I, I, I think the guy's screen name was Grimace. So they're going back and forth. I'm like, this is just getting to be funnier and funnier. And we just, it became our thing. We don't have anything to do. We live in small uptown New York. None of us have girlfriends at the time. Shocking, I know, for this story. So we're like, we need to record this. And someone had a little webcam video camera thing, because this is before every cell phone having, you know, cameras on it and easily upload to whatever site you want. Whoever in the building had a camera that could do it. We go upstairs. This is done right in, uh, in the bathroom. Bo is found from some like Halloween costume, whatever. We're just grabbing stuff from the house, putting together his outfit and everything. Film it. We're losing it. We're feeding him lines. We're egging him on. We're pushing it. Put it up online, and it blew up. We were shocked. So now it happens. We got to do more, of course. Of so course. We, we were at the TV station and cut a promo against some fence. He calls out Rampage Johnson on one video. He's hamming it up and making like chicken noises and everything too. <laughs> and it's just getting better and better and funnier and funnier. But now Crone's going to shows with us too. And he became like a little brother for the group. And I'm like, geez, someone needs to just be cool with him. So me, I, I was living at home still. Um, I can't remember if Elise and I were I think we were dating yet, but we were figuring out one of us has to move, but which one is it going to be? And it ended up being me because at the time I was working for Borders and I saw the RIP coming for it. Gotcha. So I said, I'm, I'm about to be out of job. So I think I'm the one moving here. Uh, but Crone would like show up at my house. Like he was just bored and all. I'm like, what do you want to do? He goes, I don't know. You want to tape YouTube videos? Sure. And I got, because of a G4 TV and attack of the show, I bought one of those flip cameras. That just it would record for an hour and then it had a USB port that popped out. You just pop, put it right in your computer and it would upload it right to YouTube. And I was like, all right. And we would just sit there all day, record a couple of videos, put it up on my page, talking about everything. Oh, pay-per-view just happened last night. Let's talk about it. Wrestling, you know, Raw just happened, whatever it might be. But he wasn't hamming it up now, so it didn't go anywhere. Like, right. I thought, let's show that this kid has something to say. Let's give him, you know, some respect here. But that's not what anyone came for. They came for the cartoon of it. Mm-hmm. And and a couple times over the years, we would, like, do an update. Crone Meltzer, where's he been? He looks like a year or two older. But it never reached the passion and the ridiculousness of it, of the first batch of it, where he looks like he's eight years old <laughs> cutting promos on people. Right. And I do want to, uh, Treats and I want to sit down with him at some point, just like hour or two, tell all the stories, tell everything he remembers. Because honestly, I'm curious, with him being so young when we did this, how did he view it? Did he know that, you know, like, was he in on the joke? Or w- should we feel bad for how we treated him? Or did he view it as one of the most fun times of his life when he became an internet legend? <laughs> right. <laughs> He's still a good kid. God, I think like because we'll talk off the air sometimes when he's made appearances, and uh, I just think you've done well, buddy. Like, good on you. Yeah, like he's still, you know, um, for better or for worse, uh, very remembered amongst a very certain sect of people that came up 
as professional wrestling fans on the internet. Like in 2021, Crone Melter is still known as a thing, you know? Well, and when 2CW was hot and we were going to all the shows, we were kind of half joking, but half serious. I'm like, I guarantee you we could get him choke slammed. I guarantee <laughs> you there's enough people that know who he is. And if we, because we know who we knew who the booker was for the promotion and he knew, you know, I mean, like he didn't treat us seriously, but he, he knew who we were and that we were fans and we were annoying. But I'm like, there's a good chance. There's some wrestler on the show. That's like, Oh, Crone Meltzer. Yeah. I would. What do you want me to do? And there's a good chance he would sign any waiver to just be part of the moment. <laughs> and it never happened. I, I, I guarantee he would have gone for it though. I'm looking at the uh, like, and then like there's Crone Meltzer parody accounts on YouTube. So many. Uh, then I see that there was the Crone Meltzer YouTube page, and then Crone Meltzer one, and like you know these are videos that have thousands of views. You know, ridiculous. Well, and when it was mentioned, I know you no longer listen, and I don't either. We got tipped off to it, but when he was mentioned on Cornette's podcast, we lost our minds. Uh-huh. And they played the whole first promo off it. So Treats treats slides into their DMs and asks how much they're going to pay for using our clip. Never got a response. Not quite sure why. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> but I, again, that's it's it's so interesting uh, to be such a part of such uh, internet wrestling lore, you know? And sadly, I think it's one of those internet wrestling lores that I, knowing you, am still fascinated about it now, to this day. <laughs> and there were a couple people that I knew that, you know, had the same kind of feeling and opinions. It's like, oh, this new Crone Meltzer thing, right? Um, when I found out that it was you, I'm like, you'll never guess. I found out, I, I know the guy who was behind it. And they're just like... Oh, it wasn't like a real thing. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. But, and they're like, eh, like they wanted to believe that it really was this like weird kid. Yeah. It, it takes a little bit of the magic away. Yeah. But it also like, because of the shirt of Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen holding him up wearing this shirt with my logo of it. Like that was one of the things I use when I was originally getting the team Hellions brand out there. I'm like, I have Crone. People know who he is. Yeah. I can take, there's thousands of views. I can use this to get more attention to my stuff to, okay, maybe Crohn's what brought you in, but maybe all the stuff I'm producing is what will keep you here. And I was trying everything. I still try everything. <laughs> right. To just get it going. And some of it worked, some of it didn't, but I do still appreciate, like, people still know him as Crone Meltzer, even though it's been forever. People, mm -hmm. part of, you know, part of the title of this show even though the original show had the original name of the site had to change, people still contact me as Hellions. Right. Even if they know my, my shoot name, even if they know anything else, that's still what they call me. And I was like, I'm just running with it. And he just runs with it too. Like if someone <laughs> knows who I am, cool. I'll answer to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I always say, and have said for the longest time, you know, obviously, um, the educator and Maddie call you Hellions all the time, and sometimes they'll call you whatever. But, you know, you're Kevin. I know you as Kevin. Um, 
that's when I knew you. Team Hellions was what it was. But again, I knew you as Kevin, so I never called you that. And I would always say, at least with like wrestling people, you know, like I still call Cesaro Claudio because I knew Claudio for a long time. And I would always say, it's like, oh, you got to be with your new name for as many years as you had your old name for me to be able to call you your new name because now the old name's out. But like Claudio's the exception to the rule. And being that I had been Leonard F. Chikarison for 12 years, I'm like, well, it'll probably be another 12 years before, you know, a bunch of people stop calling me Chikarison. Uh, and these days, only one person, maybe two, call me Chikarison. And, you know, I'm sure the events of about a year ago helped uh, <laughs> make people not <laughs> talk bit. about Chikar as much. And uh, to kind of wrap up wrestling talk, and I know you said you probably have me on again, but... Um, whatever your feelings are on what happened with Chikara in the final days of Chikara and how things were handled with Chikara, there was a lot of people there that did a lot of hard work and, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with appreciating the hard work those people did. And I completely understand if those people, for whatever reason, um, individuals, let's say, um, cause you to no longer like something uh, don't let that sully the image or the hard work of other people that work just as hard, if not harder, to make Chikara be a thing. And if you can't do that, um, I completely understand. And I know, like me, signing those Chikara shows for my homework side of the Ad Oz with Wrestling could be polarizing to some people. Um, there could be people on those events um eventually or currently that were named in all the speaking out stuff and i understand that that is going to say well if you're going to assign this show that means eventually you're going to get to that show and this person is there and i just don't even want to cross that bridge and i completely understand my attachment to the material is different than your attachment to the material uh but please don't let one or two or sadly maybe even double digits worth of people um Rune, uh, giving a chance to some of the kids that are out there now. And again, I say kids. I'm 44 years old. These are people in their mid to late 20s, so they're kids, right? Yep. Um, that are out there busting their asses, uh, having great matches, whether it be like the new crop of people. And again, I'll throw them a plug. Uh, Blitzkrieg Wrestling just had an event. I think it's up on their Twitch channel, and I'm sure that'll be coming eventually to Jerry's Internet Wrestling Emporium. Um, I I came to the show for the Hollow Wicked match, which was Hollow Wicked's first match in almost 500 days uh, of his own volition during everything that was going on during the pandemic. Um, but there was a match on the show of JTG, formerly of World Wrestling Entertainment in Crime Time, uh, taking on Travis Huckabee, who was one of the you know, later and Chikara graduates. And if you like Matt wrestling, and I know if you know Travis Huckabee, that's what he does, but maybe you don't think that JTG can do that. Not only does he do it, he did it unbelievably. And publicly and privately, JTG said that of his entire indie run, that was his favorite match. Because Man. he wasn't doing all the high spots or the bits or the, you know, the stuff that people knew from WWE, he got to go out there for the first time and show people what he could do as a wrestler. And he kind of said that he never thought he'd be able to get that chance 
for a variety of reasons. And, you know, I think that's a huge thing to JTG, someone who I don't know, but it's an even bigger thing to Travis, who, if you watch these 2012 shows of Chikara that I'm assigning, you probably see Travis in the front row at most of, if not all of the shows. So just to kind of show how your life and career trajectory can go. Um, and don't let the actions of, you know, a handful, maybe two handfuls worth of people uh, ruin giving a chance to some people uh, that don't deserve it. It's one of the things I've put in my reviews for homework many times. I'm commenting on the in-ring action, not uh-huh. on the people behind it. Yep. There's, there's a separation here. Right. And um, you could you could do it. I could do it. Somebody can't do it. And I completely understand. Um, oh, all yeah, I'm just saying is. Yeah, is it just give people a chance. Yeah, I don't fault anyone who can't. That's just how I do yeah. it and compartmentalize it. Joe, we end this podcast like we end all good things by telling people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, <laughs> very rarely do I promote my Twitter account, uh, but, you know, my name is Joe Sposto. I have my real name. I have my real picture out there, for better or for worse. That's me on Twitter. Uh, my Patreon is patreon.com slash Longbox Heroes, dollar a month is going to get you two extra podcasts of mine. Uh, if me appearing on dozens and dozens of other podcasts all the time isn't enough and you need more, uh, you can get that there. And listen, hey, even if you're a comic book historian, and maybe if you're listening to Kevin's stuff, uh, you've come in through some sort of comic book adjacent thing. Uh, I've been putting up the full scans of the 1991 previews catalogs. Uh, Todd has gone through the meticulous work of scanning all of them. He has it almost down to a science. Uh, I have up to March of 1992 already in the can, and I have the previews catalogs up to 1995, the end of 1995 in my office. So that is a show that will be going on for at least another four years, three and a half years. Um, but I'm going to make a more concerted effort to put those full scans of those previews catalogs up there. And listen, for a buck a month, just to go back and look through all that unfiltered 90s comic goodness, just to see what the world of comics book look, comic books looked like back then, I think that's worth your dollar a month. Give us a try. And I will say, as a patron for Joe's content there, I also agree. And it, your, your patronage is uh, very much appreciative. Uh, you do know Adam pushed me over for it, right? Oh, he did. Yeah. Well, Adam's we, gonna get his cut of he's gonna get his cut <laughs> of the money now that I figured out how to do a separate Amazon click through for add-ons. Yeah. Um, he had listened to an After Dark and told me you were gonna. I I can't remember which one, but he's like, you're gonna really want to listen to this one. I said, ah, damn it, Adam, I don't want to wait for it. <laughs> I immediately, <laughs> I was like, all right, so I signed up for it that day. I couldn't wait the two days. Uh, and I, I will, <laughs> for myself, if you don't already know, you can find me across the internet at Mass Library. MassLibrary.com is the home blog. This podcast is part of the Retro Network. You can find us every Thursday for Hellions Talks. You can find many other great shows every other weekday on the Retro Network. And I want to thank one of the founders of Retro Network for coming up with a new logo for Hellions Talks. Thank you very much, Jason. And thank you, Joe. I'm going to go ahead and close out the recording so we can have our own After Dark conversation now that I'm in the loop. 
I'll wait till I see the thing go away just so it can't be used against me. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.